This is the Criterion Creeps Podcast. I'm Jared Duncan. Uh, RJ Baylock. And we're just two guys who have no other choice now but to creep our way through the Criterion Collection one spine number at a time in order of release. This week, we're locking young couples in rooms to explode, taking over people's minds via hypnotism, and all in the name of crime as we watch Spine 232 in the Criterion Collection, Fritz Lang's The Testament of Dr. Mabuse from 1933. But first, RJ, mm. we have mm. a guest. We do? We have a guest, a, a, a mystery guest, someone who has it... never written in an email that, okay. uh, except for saying, hey, I want to be on the show. And uh, how, does, how does that feel, RJ? Well, I'm uh, I'm a little bit stunned. I'm a little confused. I know there's been uh, a lot of people were asking who the mystery guest for Videodrome is, and uh, a lot of people, you know, it's like, is it David Cronenberg? Is it David Lynch? What other Canadian icon? I, David Lynch is from Montana. That's close enough. Close enough. Uh, a lot of people have been asking who we're getting on here, and uh, when you told me there was a mystery guest, I just assumed I was like, it's either maybe Spike Lee or Spike Jones, <laughs> but uh, I'm not sure. So uh, I'm still uh, I'm still wondering. You, you still haven't told me. Well, uh, I don't have a video, so I don't even know exactly who we're talking to, but this person mm. identifies as one Ryan Norris. Hello, Ryan. Yo, how's it going, guys? It's, it's, going, it's going pretty swell. Pretty good. Mm-hmm. Pretty good. How, how are you this fine day? I'm doing pretty good. Hey, you know what's crazy, though, RJ? What's up? Um... I also had uh, a dream the other night about an ice adventure with Joe Pesci, Susan Sarandon, and Jerry Seinfeld mm-hmm. at my mom's mm-hmm. old house where a Batmobile rocketed a helicopter. So I guess Tyrell gave us the same memory chip, man. Small world, huh? Uh, I think it's an incredibly small world, but I think even more than that, uh, it's picking up on something else. Like I think your inclusion in, with this dream shows that we are on some kind of hint, some kind of connection. Uh, I, I believe in my dream, Joe Pesci was the tailor of our ice suits. I don't know if that was the same with your dream uh, at your parents' old house. Was Joe Pesci also tailoring you ice suits of uh, the snow fashion or was he a different role? Yeah, man. He took my trousers from a 34 to a 32. He was pretty good. I mean, people pay big money for that, going from 34 to 32. I know Jerry Seinfeld himself would doctor his pants, the inseam that would say 34. He would put them down to a 32 or something like that. So uh, he, so people wouldn't know his true waist size. So uh, <laughs> Right, right. Wasn't there like an episode where he like scratched 30 out to put 29 because he was all insecure about it? Exactly. So, I mean, there's even more more connections into this dream than you even imagine. This is the, we're in the Christopher Nolan universe now is what you're thinking. Beautiful. Wonderful. <laughs> Marvelous. <laughs> so Ryan, um, what, what brings you to our doorstep, our, uh, our podcast realm? Well, I don't know if other viewers have an issue with this, but, uh, I I grew up in the Silicon Valley, and uh, they're uh, a little more into uh, coding and Java and Python and all that crap. Uh, so I haven't had too many chances to uh, shoot the breeze about any movie before 1983 or whatever. So just it's, a, it's an honor to find people who are uh, not only trying to talk about this stuff, but at least trying to uh, make a light of it and not, uh, you know... You know, 
it's kind of a can, can be kind of tough stuff for people are kind of younger demographic to talk about. So, and so it's definitely dope to uh, be a part of this. We're we're happy to have you on too. Uh, we're we're always welcoming of uh, friends, exist pre-existing and new. Uh, and I like that you said make light of it because uh, you're one of the only new one of the only other listeners other than people who comment on YouTube's and uh, iTunes. Uh, they they usually don't like that we make light of things. But uh, <laughs> I mean, you're dropping hints to python and it's like if you want python talk we can talk about python and matlab whatever you want uh whatever gets you closer to home dude any kind of coding we're we're there jared's a huge nerd i'm sure he knows all about that stuff right jared i know all about it mentioning uh youtube uh someone just said that our uh, night porter review is the worst review for this movie i've seen what do they mean by scene? There's no video to that review. Um, there's some comment about beefy glutes. Is that all you have to say <laughs> about it? Dude, it's about the sexual ambiguity on those men who were Nazis. So she's trying to portray how Nazism was put on top of all the human, uh, all too human perks. Hey, well, you know, what, you know what it says about a person when they have to review a review. That's very true. Very true. Did, did one of one of us say beefy glutes or was that so, their uh, addition? Yeah. It's something about, so while they also were saying glutes, didn't like it too long. Looks bad. It's not a movie route. Uh. That's an answer. Anyone could give without thinking about it one minute. And of course, without having read anything on the movie, the director and Italian oh, cinema. Oh, here's those Italians again, those Actium Jackson Maximuses out there taking their <laughs> cinema too seriously. Uh, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I don't know. I've I've said my piece many times about uh, what I think about these negative reviewers, but uh, but hear what our guest has to say. Do you think that the context of the film is important, or I mean, sometimes it helps, but do you think that should be the sole dependent of enjoyment on that film, or do you just go in for a good time, man? Um. Well, I, I guess that's kind of one of the, the one of the topics I've I've enjoyed you guys talking about, kind of like that balance between whether it's made for art or whether it's made for entertainment, I kind of like yeah. the ones that kind of find that middle ground. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time though, uh, like for example, the, the movie we're talking about right now, the context of it is like, you know, post world. Well, the Testament's more closer to world war two, but like the Dr. Medusa gambler is like post world war one. And, uh, you know, when when that came out, I'm sure the context was really relevant to everyone watching it. But now, as we're just millennials watching it today, I don't know mm. how much how necessary that that value holds. So mm. I would say, to an extent, the context matters. But if you're going to base everything off of that, then uh, you know, you're going to be in for a ride when like half a century or more passes through time. Mm. I think that's well said. I, I, uh, I'm inclined to agree with you. What about you, J-Dog? Um, all I have to really say is I'm just scanning this uh, lengthy post. It's this person who oh. really wants, wants to talk about movies, and they did not find the conversation they hoped for in our review. And that's fine. That's fine. That's it's totally fine. I'm sure they can find some kind of 4chan channel that they can uh, discuss their their strong opinions on that That's stuff right. exists out there. They're just, I think this person's looking in the wrong spot. No, I think so. Um, yeah. well, I don't know if you guys just want to jump into some emails or, uh, 
Ryan, I don't know if there's even want to talk about yourself. I mean, the thing that upsets me the most is uh, at this time, to my understanding, you don't have a letterbox. Like, how can I get to know? <laughs> how can how can I even get to know a man, a woman, anything, anyone without a letterbox? It's it feels just like I don't know. I'm on shaky ground. Definitely, man. Yeah, I'm gonna jump on that uh, at some point this week. I meant to to make an account, but um. Definitely. I do have a, like I had uh, spoken to you guys briefly uh, before we did this, I do have like a, a channel that I'm hopefully going to try and start up uh, mm. with a couple segments. I even had a, um, possibly what I was going to try to do is a top 100 list uh, where, because on, on YouTube specifically, um, you know, I've like, I've scrounged YouTube, you know, up and down and I don't, you know, you got Sight and Sound, you got IMDB and uh, a couple other afi all that stuff but yeah. um in terms of in terms of lists on youtube i never felt like there's anyone that really kind of kind of went to town with it i found a couple people that have done little like countdowns and stuff but uh to the to the to the extent of that it's just like you know maybe like 10 videos they'll do like 100 to 90 90 to 80 and i'll just talk yeah. about the movie for like 30 seconds right and i kind of feel like that's a little minimal as far as a, what a list is trying to do and you know, it's one thing to kind of just look at 100 movies listed up and down, but my, my goal was to try and have like an actual countdown where I do one movie at a time. But then uh, not only that, I was going to do, um, it was going to kind of be like a guessing game where I try and talk about the movie as long as possible without giving it away and okay. then kind of make the, make the video somewhat of like a, a bit of like a, I mean, for one thing, it would give it more... Uh, to have someone uh, stick till the end of it but um yeah just kind of maybe give skip some people because you know people like us we kind of we kind of know all the we know the ropes to the stuff but then a lot of other people mm-hmm. you know could definitely use a little more uh, a little more explanation to why something like tokyo story is on a top five or you know i'm not spoiling my list right there but uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and i don't have to pay attention to the episode whatever 95 <laughs> I guess my biggest question would be in your top 100, where would uh, butt crack the movie place? Like, like 18, right next to Super Babies. Oh, interesting. That's a that's a interesting pick. I don't know. I don't know if Jarrett's uh, familiar with such things, but uh, you know that's what this is all about. We're trying to familiarize Jarrett with more than what he's used to. I know he doesn't watch a lot of well, movies. It's so. about it's about getting these people who are like only watching these Criterions to try to experience right. all flavors of uh, cinema. Sure, sure. Spice, man. Spice. Spice. Well, we have an email. Okay. Uh, from single. Uh, three, three. Emails. Oh, okay. Uh, for, oh, first up, we've got Justin Peterson with an email entitled nice. Creeping from the Coast. Hey, Jarrett, RJ, and mystery co-host. What's happening? Mm. Just mm-hmm. wanted to check nope. in with you guys between trips to the beach and pool this week on vacation. Having grown up not far from the beach my whole life, all the sand and salt water has gotten pretty old. But this being the year of COVID, ruled out our original plans of going to Disney and Universal in your least favorite state of Florida. Being from the Great White North, have you had the chance to go to a beach on the ocean? <laughs> and did you have any favorite activities while you were there? If not, this question mm-hmm. could also apply to a pool or water park. Mm-hmm. Um, RJ, have you ever have you ever seen the ocean? Uh, I've seen the ocean, but I actually, you know, just just 
because I mean, he he has a point. I actually haven't spent a lot of time beaching, man. So uh, I've been to California, saw the beach there. I've flown over the ocean, uh, so I've seen it on that end, and then I saw it in South America too. Uh, but uh, no, I haven't um, haven't spent a lot of time beaching. I do like the water though, just not the open water because that's scary. What about you, dude? Me? Oh, uh, well, yeah. I mean, I've have been on the Pacific Ocean by way of British Columbia. Sure. Cross, sure. Crossing that ferry to Victoria. I mean, it's kind of mm-hmm. like not quite the ocean, but it's close enough. But, you know, Canada isn't uh, specifically landlocked. We are surrounded. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I've never been to the East Coast to see okay. that, that the Atlantic or anything like that. Uh, Ryan, how about you? Have you, I'm imagining living in Silicon Valley in California, you've probably experienced the, the Pacific Ocean at some point. Oh, yeah. I mean, just today I went on a ride at Marina del Rey. Uh, if you're ever in like the, the Santa Monica, Culver City area, I definitely recommend those kind of bike paths. I actually just moved down to uh, L.A. From, from the Silicon Valley about like, five months ago. I came down here for film, and then within three weeks, <laughs> quarantine happened. How fun is that? But uh, oh my god! On, a, on, a, on another note, yeah, definitely uh, into the very, very familiar with the ocean. There you go. Cool. Uh, yeah, that'd be. Man, that's like yeah, because there's like all these amazing uh, like revival theaters in Los Angeles, and uh, like, is there a plan on yeah. when that stuff can open back up? Because like, so in uh, in Creepsville, we have like our one small little theater that they just mm-hmm. opened up like a week ago, and they're going to start playing movies essentially on blu-ray but projected um but like they started off with jurassic park this week and they've just been posting lately they're gonna be like rolling out like gladiator and Mm -hmm. what was it uh happy gilmore and gladiator lost world uh lost world there is a slapstick or slap shot slap shot yeah even slap shot which plays to the crowd here. So uh, I did, all uh, sorts of shit. I did uh, actually post RJ on Facebook. I actually publicly asked for uh, a names of several movies I think would be Ace, uh, including oh, wow. uh, one Christopher Nolan's Dark Knight. Are you for real? I asked Jared? about so I so I, I wasn't just asking about Batman movies. I asked about these are my, in my mind. I'm like they should get The Searchers, Vertigo, uh-huh. Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Uh, but then I also threw out like you know. Mad Max Fury Road Chrome Edition, perhaps actually just yeah. the, or the Road Warrior, I think would be sure. absolutely awesome. But and they said, well, uh, a few of the movies you mentioned uh, will be coming this summer, and I was like, well, I'm thinking Dark Knight 100% will be because yeah. people mm-hmm. will want like totally go to see that. But they're oh, also sure. uh, they're also limiting how many people are in the theater at any given time to 40%. Which, but right. the one thing that I find strange is they do not require people to wear masks, and I think that is mm. a a big mistake but hey i'm, I'm not no. a doctor i'm not uh making public policy but to me i'd be i would be way more comfortable myself being in a uh room for two hours of total strangers just breathing and coughing on one another i think a mask would go a long way mm-hmm. yeah i agree with you uh i for one though like you you showed me those movies and if there was if we had a theater that just exclusively showed old movies like that. I'd go all the time and I imagine other people would too, but uh, why don't we ask our guest about uh, what uh, movies he would like to see at an uh, second run theater. If he could like the Mad Maxes or I don't know, sister act two or whatever, like, (laughs) you know, whatever, whatever you're feeling. Um, 
Well, we got a couple theaters. Um, I know there's one on Santa Monica. I don't know if you guys know the uh, like Cinephile. They have a they have a movie rental store on Santa Monica, like off of 405, and they got a theater that plays kind of more uh, indie stuff, which is cool. I'm blanking out on the name of it. I don't know what they're. I know Cinephile's back open the store. You can still rent stuff. But I'm not sure about the theater yet. Okay. And uh, I, I check I check IMDb Showtimes every so often. They're still it's still blank, showing nothing. Yeah. Which is a crazy thing to see, not one thing showing but if uh if, uh, if i would have some stuff planned um as far as like more uh big budget stuff definitely would have never seen um any, you know any of your classic sci-fis from oh alien blade runner i've never seen any of those in, in theater that would be pretty cool man and just... in terms of kind of like I'm oh, sorry, what? Oh, I was just going to say, like, actually, that's like, I mean, oh, that'd be amazing, actually, if they uh, screened some Kubrick stuff. <laughs> like, you know, like I, I'd be like, oh, yeah. oh I, I'd be, I'd be down with that, too. But, but actually, the other, the other one I threw out there to them was Terminator 2. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, because I, I saw oh. that in theater in 1991 and when I was eight years old. So I'd be, I'd, I'd, I'd be good to return to that 30 years later. There's one theater, uh, downtown San Jose, Camera 3. They would do uh, all kinds of, uh, old school screening you know do do like acura that's a great thing to see on a yeah. big screen um and then i mean obviously animation just anything from Hayao mizaki to uh pixar is great on on the screen but uh, in terms of like more uh indie stuff like i recently i don't know if you guys i've ever seen like um any movies from like senegal but i was watching a movie called tuki bookie you guys know that one no uh, they did a they did a 35 millimeter remaster. That thing's crazy. Uh, it's this uh, Jibril Giot Mombetti. Uh, heard of him, but uh, he's a big, like, famous. He died when he was young, but he's a famous, like, African filmmaker. And I recently watched that a, a couple months ago. And the, seeing that on a, on a big screen would be absolutely amazing. Yes, just the, the, co- the colors. I mean, you can imagine a West African movie, the color schemes, everything popping out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. That sounds cool. I'd like to see uh, generally Idi Amin uh, Dada on uh, the big screen, Jarrett, uh, yeah. for that Criterion connection. Uh, that would be pretty sick. Yeah, uh, I can. And then you have Fishing with John, General Idi Amin oh. Dada. What else? Is, what else is on that list, sick... RJ? On that list? Yeah, your pro- uh, your, your programming. Salo, the Night Porter, <laughs> uh, four of four Stan Brackage films, probably not all of them, just four. <laughs> Henry the Fifth. Henry V, uh, Nanook of the North. Jubilee. Uh, Jubilee, Sid and Nancy. Walkabout. Walkabout, Picnic at Hanging, Hanging Rock, I guess would be really good. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. All sorts of really good. The adventure. La Ventura. Oh, La Ventura. Yeah, one of our favorite Italian films. Uh, you know you know what they say about Italy. They uh, they make movies. They certainly do. Right, Jer? And they like to talk about them. They like to talk about them on, when on, they're not even busy on killing. even on YouTube. Yeah, even on YouTube. But it's hard when your time is so booked chasing women into sexual endeavors and killing animals, right, Jared? Exactly. <laughs> Just of a good Italian movie to see on a big screen, man. Seeing Satyricon on a big screen would be would be bananas. Oh, Satyricon. One day I'll revisit that movie. Oh, man. So uh, continuing Justin's email, remember that? I really enjoy hunting for sand dollars. 
Don't worry, RJ. I put them back and I attached a few pictures. What? Sand dollars. What does that mean? Cruising around on a beach bike and, of course, listening to movie podcasts. I recently ran into another podcast that I would recommend called Unspooled, hosted by Paul Shear and Amy Nicholson, where they review Hmm. all the movies on the AFI Top 100 Movies list. I am not familiar with this one. I know Paul Shear. Um, in order to greatly reduce the amount of time I spend writing about movies while on vacation, I have decided to dive into Criterion's longest epic, Berlin Alexanderplatz, which is 14 episodes lasting 15 hours and a half in 31 minutes. The longer first episode was a challenge to get into, but all the episodes since have got have been great, and the series is definitely not what I expected. Have you guys seen or know anything about this future creep at Spine 411? Uh, I know about it. I know about mm. that fast binder, and uh, I also know that RJ is very excited to check it out. Uh, I'm excited for anything that it has a runtime of over four hours, preferably in a different language, black and white, or even a silent film. That's uh, usually <laughs> usually my my sweet spot. Okay, well, ready for uh, tape, Tango. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, that's uh, Showa. Um, yeah, Showa. Doctor Doctor Mabuse, the gambler. Doctor Mabuse, the gambler. Decalogue, whatever, man. It's all like, just wa- let it wash over you. Yeah. Bring it on. Uh, do you know all about this Berlin Alexander Platz, Ryan? Uh, good old uh, Rainer Werner Fassbender. Yeah, I haven't seen it. It, but I mean, I've seen a handful of his movies. I, I you know, I'm sure he'll probably probably pop it one day. But yeah, I think I gotta, I think I gotta um, pizzazz my taste, <laughs> my taste a little more for for Fassbender. Yeah, I mean, you know, I would say that his movies are fair, are pretty gettable. Like they're they're not like I don't know if there's like a what if there's a killer app to quote like of what I would say like oh you should definitely go to this movie and this would be a, a really great introduction I, I feel like Ali Fear It's the Soul uh, works fairly well as like a start uh, I think that was the first one I watched and that, I mean it didn't make me immediately rush out and watch all his other movies or anything like that like everything most of the movies I've seen of his have all been for the show uh, but like all of those I've liked more or less yeah. so he's pretty good yeah, you got Ali on Wire etc etc I mean yep. definitely Definitely somebody, you know, it's not a surprise Criterion collection oozes over him. Uh, but, but yeah, he, yeah, no, I, I know where you're coming from. It's, it's, it can come off like him or Melville or someone like that. They can come off as really uh, kind of overwhelming at first. Then you kind of sit down. It's just like anything else in the collection, I guess. I mean, even I like the Fazbinder stuff, and uh, I'm a total chud. So, like... <laughs> The, what have we watched so far, Jarrett? Four? Five? Fastbinders? Mm, possibly. Something, something like that. But uh, I hadn't seen any of them before. And uh, well, going in for me, I was like, Meh. I was like, these feel like they got a lot of baggage to them. But uh, I, I enjoyed, uh, I think, all of the ones we watched, to some degree at least. Okay, so I'm looking at the pictures that Justin sent of sand dollars. Are they like clams? Is yeah. that why he uh, was saying for me to put them back? Yeah. Yes. We we don't have those here, so I was a little confused at first. Yes, now I see, and it's like, yeah, they're little sea creatures in the, in the beach. <laughs> they, they exist in Animal Crossing, Jarrett. You can collect oh. them. Oh. <laughs> but I, I didn't realize they were full-on cla- uh, clam boys. 
Okay. I'm going to, uh, yes, he asks us another thing, but maybe Justin, send us that next week <laughs> because this, oh, yeah. this seems a bit, it's got some steps to it and letterbox yeah. involved. So we're going to jump right to goat movie question of the week. Who oh, is yeah. your greatest actress of all time and your favorite movies she's been in? Oh, RJ. I would like uh, guest friend of the show, Ryan, to go first. This is friend of the show, Ryan, not friend of the show, Ryan Nagel. Yes, yeah. That, this is new friend make, of the show, yeah, Ryan. Norris. There we go. Yeah, that's that's what I'm. Uh, that's what I meant. Not friend of the show, Ryan. Mango. So, uh, Ryan Norris, do you have a favorite actress in uh, movies that she has been in? Um. <laughs> wow, RJ, what a we can go. What a, we what can a, go what first a, too if you what, need a minute. What a dick move, RJ. You know, well, you just throw well, him into the deep end like that. I uh, mean, just because you can't think of a woman that you that you I've, like and that I've that she's been in a movie for. Four years now. You want here? I'll I'll, 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 I'll go first. I can come I'll up first. with something. Oh yeah, go ahead, RJ. Yeah, Whoopi yeah. Goldberg, Jarrett. How do you like that shit? There Sister you go. Sister Act wow. One. Yeah. Sister Act Two. The Color Purple. Ghost. <laughs> the Little Rascals. Ghost. <laughs> Ghost. National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon. All high quality stuff. So that's my answer. What about you guys? Um, well, I'll break it up. I think I, I, I don't think I could put comedy and dramatic in the same one. Uh, I mean, I personally, I, I don't know if I could go to say I have one single favorite actress, but uh, if I could say one comedic role from an actress that that uh, that always like is a good, good go to for me is Catherine Hepburn and Bringing Up Baby. Mm, nice. You guys seen that one? That's so that's that's like classic screwball stuff and then in terms of dramatic stuff i mean i already mentioned it and this has kind of probably come off as just kind of a typical answer but for me it doesn't really get any better than sporny weaver and alien mm. yeah cool those are good picks i think yeah what about you jared do uh, your picks line up with those two uh they'll be different i'm just gonna throw out there uh lena romay who is was the mu Ooh. the muse of uh jess franco who? Everyone loves G- uh, he- he- Jesus Franco. Mm. Remember him? Not familiar with such oh, a person oh, or you, such an actress. Well, you are because you'll remember me talking about sexy vampire movies. Oh, yeah, that weird stuff you're into. That hey? weird stuff I'm into. Billina Romay, she's she's pretty good. I'm gonna go with her. Okay. <laughs> no one, no one. I don't think anyone else knows who you're talking about, but that's fine, right? Well, I'm sure that the person who is giving a shit about not liking Night Porter knows all about Lena Romay. You should ask them. You you should respond and be like, "What what do you think about Lena Romay?" And if they don't respond within ten minutes, you know that they just Googled it and it doesn't count. It doesn't count. Well, I mean, yeah. I, I could I could go with uh, Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> and, is that a, is that a real no, answer? No. <laughs> oh, okay. But I mean, I'm just like looking at her. She's got a pretty impressive filmography. Let, let's oh, all yeah. oh, kidding aside. Two Oscar nominations in one year, I think, last year. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But she, she's yeah. come a long way from her woodenness that she was famous for through the 2000s. She got Which better. Wouldn't... She got better. I don't know. Like, if you think about her range of characters through, like, the, like post-Ghost World, it seemed like she was, like, you know, between Matchpoint, Vicky Cristina Barcelona with the Woody Allen things. Uh, Manu wasn't there. Uh, Lost in Translation. Yeah, Lost in Translation was like kind of like one of those high points, but it seemed like there was a point where people were always like, yeah, she's very deadpan. She kind of like, I think she's, uh, from the sounds of it, because I haven't seen Marriage Story, 
That seems to be mm. like a real uh, turning point. Because I mean, even in her, I mean, she's playing the voice of a of an AI. Well, voice actors would lead you to believe that voice acting is in fact harder than real physical acting, Jared. Mm. <laughs> mm. Oh, I oh, black. I forgot she was in Black Dahlia. Oh. That that's Black Dahlia, uh, Black Dahlia in Hollywood land, high quality movies, right, Jared? Came out around the same time. Both featured smoking. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Justin's thoughts were recently watching Future Creep. The Emigrants, The New Land confirmed that Liv Allman is up there for me with Persona being the best film I have seen her in. Such such classy picks. Next up would be Meryl Streep, who was the first actress I can recall disliking at first because of how good she was at playing very unlikable characters. I still need to see that Sophie's Choice movie she was in. And in terms of young modern actresses, I must admit I am a Scarlett Johansson fan, not only for her being hot. Oh, Justin. Whoa. 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 The, 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 the thirst on the beach. But also, Creeps is canceled now. Uh oh. But also having great performances in Jojo Rabbit. That's the other movie that she was in that uh, got a lot of attention. And Under the Skin. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, She's good in Under the Skin, but I told you before, dude, that movie bums me out real bad. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Real, real bad. Finally. Have you seen that, Ryan? Oh, Oh, never mind. Jared's going to keep going. Keep rolling, bud. Steamrolling through this. Yeah, we were talking about Under the Skin the other day with, I think, right? Briefly. Briefly, yeah. Yeah. Finally, have you gotten ever gotten around to see a 70-millimeter film in the theater before? And what are the top three movies you would love to see in the biggest format possible? Well, we were kind of just talking about that. What a weird coincidence. Uh, I have not seen a 70-millimeter film in theater. RJ, Ryan, how about you two? Uh, that's all I watch. So. Oh. <laughs> okay, P.T. Anderson. Yeah. Uh, no, I don't think uh, anything where we live... We don't we don't have the kind of setup for that, uh, but uh, maybe Ryan, where he lives, he might have been able to sneak a peek at something like that. Yeah, I saw a Dunkirk in seventy mil. That was pretty crazy. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's that would but, be it. Um, yeah, that and like yeah. when Interstellar was, uh, I think that got a seventy millimeter re-release, correct? And then Dunkirk, yeah. Mm. And there's apparently I, a two thousand one kicking around as well. I'd like to see fishing with John and 70 millimeter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That'd be cool, right? You'd see all those pixels. Yeah. See, yeah. Uh, Ron Frick movie in, in the theater would be pretty crazy. I wasn't old enough to see like Keanu's Quatsy or right. any of that stuff, but that would be pretty, that'd be pretty cool. That would be cool. Yeah. Uh, Justin has sadly, uh, Never seen anything in 70 mil before, but would love a chance to see Saving Private Ryan, Aliens, Dr. Shivago, and I have heard Playtime is great to see on a big, big screen. That's Ooh. all for now. Thanks for the time, gents, yeah. and have a great show. We'll try. We'll try. So far, so Always. good, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, Ryan would be the one to say. How are we doing? I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, play um, uh, That's what uh, the, uh, Jacques Tati, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, I could see that being pretty good. Yeah, I mean, obviously, all those other ones would be bananas too. Yeah. yeah, on Blu-ray, those movies look amazing. I can only imagine how good they hold up, even bigger. Yeah. Next up, we got Jackson. <sighs> Baby, with, with what's e- he up to? With an email entitled "Doctor Mabuse." <gasps> hey, creeps. 
Hoping you all are having a good week, including the special guest, full of Weimar swindlers. Not sure if you want to mm-hmm. discuss this now or later in the news section, but I was curious as to your thoughts on the Criterion Collection not releasing 4K discs. Oh, Jackson, you're talking my language. Being that I mm-hmm. don't have a 4K player or TV, it doesn't really bother me, but our dear friends on Reddit Criterion seem to make it out to be the biggest disgrace the company has ever committed, aside from wow. releasing tiny furniture. And I was curious as to your opinions on the matter. I think you guys briefly touched upon this issue in the Brackage episode, but what do you think about some filmmakers' decision to only have their work released on film, making it incredibly difficult to watch the films because you either have to bank on a local theater museum showing their work, rent the film print yourself, or pray that somehow they make their way onto the internet? Any thoughts on this? And finally, I was wondering what Jared enjoyed so much about Wisconsin Death Trip. I guess given the title, I was expecting a little bit more than what felt like a boring PBS documentary, although the DJ Shadow soundtrack was a treat, but I watched it on account of Jared's apparent enjoyment. Keep up the good work as always. Axiom Jackson Maximus. So, uh, yes, not jumping too deep into it, but Criterion announced some movies uh, in for September, and one of those movies had been recently released in the UK through Studio Canal as a 4K disc. Um, and now Criterion's putting out the exact same movie with a 4K restoration, which they're get sourcing from the same place, putting it under the Criterion label, but it's going to be com- compressed to a Blu-ray. And mm. that is one of these, this is where the sticking point is for some fans. And I saw this on Facebook uh, as opposed to Reddit. But yeah, people were like, what the fuck? Like, why is the Criterion not on the 4K thing? Like, they should be releasing movies. Like, we have 4K prints. You have Blue Underground putting out Maniac and Zombie on 4K disc. And Criterion continues to stick strictly to their 2K Blu-rays and putting stuff out on DVD. And for a company that purports to be the one that's like setting the standard for home video release. This is mm-hmm. obviously a, a hole in their game. And uh, yeah, I mean, I saw that the movie uh, Elephant Man, we'll just say, uh, <laughs> is coming out. And I was like, damn, that's awesome. But then at the same time, I'm like, but it won't look as good as the 4K disc from the Europe, which, of course, like you say, well, then you have to get a region-free player. But what a lot of people don't know, except unless you listen to our podcast, is 4K is region-free. You can watch a 4K mm-hmm. disc mm-hmm. from any country and watch it on your player. There's no region stuff at all. So there's nothing stopping a person from just ordering the Elephant Man 4K, but it won't be the Criterion version. And mm. I find that it's like, well, that's weird. I mean, there's different special features, so there is mm-hmm. that. Um and but I saw some people defending this, and people are just like, "This is ignorant. It's ignorant that you would dare question Criterion." Is essentially what it boiled down to. I mean, if you don't have if you don't have like any skin in the game, like you don't have a 4K player or TV, yeah, you you won't give a shit. But as someone who does have one, um, I really I find it really hard to justify ever buying anything on DVD. And there's still movies that are getting released solely on DVD and not on Blu-ray. At least in Canada, it's super frustrating. Like it makes no sense. But apparently, it's all in the sales where DVD still outsells Blu-ray. And I'm imagining mm-hmm. that 4K is such a small niche piece of the market, and that's why Criterion is not pursuing it because the amount of money it would probably cost to put into it, they would not be seeing. Uh, recouping of the cost of it which is unfortunate because i mean it's going to push people to not buying some of their discs which at the bottom uh, at the end of the day they're going to to cost them money by not embracing it but they have to make these 
uh, cost benefit analyses, I guess, which is a bummer mm-hmm. because, you know, doing this podcast, uh, you assume that we're just the Criterion uh, Collection's biggest fans and that we should, no. we know, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, and, you know, at this point, I'm like, well, I don't know what I would do. I mean, I could just, if I want it, I'll just get the 4K one, I think. But, or mm-hmm. am I stupid? Because I'm also a David Lynch fan and double mm. dip and wind up with both. So I get those special features and have the highest quality picture in another format. Are you going to watch those special features if you have them? Pfft, no. <laughs> oh, RJ. And maybe there's your answer. There you go. Uh, I got I got absolutely no horse in this race. I, I don't. You could throw a VHS on and I'd be like, is this 4K? I don't know. So uh, I, I have no opinion, but uh, maybe uh, maybe Ryan has something to add to that. Yeah, I mean, this is just me personally. I've watched so many, uh, I've watched so many 480p movies on YouTube. Yep. Like, try not to hold the quality against it. Like, you know, you'll you'll watch a movie in 480, and then you'll watch uh, you'll watch some Cinefix video, and then just see it in like the crispest, most beautiful resolution possible, and you're like. Oh, that's what it was meant to look like? Oh, well, I already really enjoyed it the way it was, so I guess I can't hold it against it in the first place. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I uh, there's definitely some movies I've watched that I preferred the DVD picture to the Blu-ray. Like, there's something like a, a softness and kind of, like, color shift when it hasn't been graded properly that I'm like, oh, I actually prefer the cruddier-looking version. But, mm-hmm. I mean, at the same time, like, I watch these Vinegar Syndrome uh, restorations, which are absolutely amazing. They take this material that, like, should never look this good, and it's like, holy crap, this looks like a brand-new movie, um, obviously from a different era, but... So it's it's tough. Like I find as time goes on, it's harder and harder to go back and watch like a compromised version, unless that is the only uh, option. So I mean, I will often try to watch. I mean, actually, that's not true. I guess like if, depending on what the compromise is, because when you're looking for movies online, sometimes those Blu-rays are big files, big big files, and it's like, yeah, that's not really worth the trade-off for that purpose. But when when it comes to actually buying physical media, it's like, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna opt for the best version possible. Um, mm-hmm. And then for like when it comes to like rebuying movies, like I still have my old uh, Paramount DVD of Elephant Man, which is long overdue for an upgrade. So now it's just a question of like which which route do I go? And considering how expensive either option is, I mean, Criterion does their fifty percent off sales, and the UK version isn't going to be super cheap or anything like that because I think it's like thirty four pounds last I looked before shipping and that stuff. But I don't know. We'll see. It this is uh, definitely a creeps problems. You know, <laughs> this isn't real real tough uh, stuff to do. But <laughs> So this idea about films only being available as film and not digital, uh, I don't know. Who are these? Who are these people who are like really concerned about it? I don't know if there's like what what sort of filmmakers there are that are these guys. It seems like this is like a art house problem rather than like narrative filmmaker guys. Those they, they don't they just want to like make their have their stuff available. I think the the art house mindset is that this is supposed to be viewed on celluloid through a film projector and sometimes they actually have to physically be there or something like that too i'm i don't know it's a little too precious for me it seems uh antiquated but i mean whatever it's like for the most part 
my my days of like obsessing about that have are definitely at a an an ebb. <laughs> like I mm. I'm fine with this, this stuff. Like most of the stuff I can find easily online. Until like as, as uh, Jackson alluded to, most of it's on the internet or some of it is, and then. It, there's like some weird things here and there. I'm like, where the hell is this? Uh, like a, f- a certain Fred Olin Ray film uh, that I was looking mm-hmm. up recently, uh, brain leeches or alien leeches or something like that. I can't find it. Apparently he's, he's sitting on it. He doesn't want it out there. And I'm like, surprisingly enough, I haven't found a source for it yet. Unless it goes under some weird name or Jackson next week, will send me a link on YouTube and be like, Oh, here it is. Dummy. Um, mm. So I don't know. How, how about you two got any strong uh, feelings on this? <laughs> I'm mostly concerned about you looking into Fred Olin Ray movies uh, oh, without R- me. Oh, RJ. And I just want to know what's going on over there, bud. Uh, getting, I'm pre-gaming. Wow. I'm, I'm getting ready for a year from now because you never know. You never Ups- know. Upsetting. I'm going to uh, I'm gonna let Ryan chime in if he can, and then I'm going to go on a complete tangent, but I can wait to completely derail the podcast. So I don't know if he has anything to add to that. Yeah, I mean, in a perfect world, you know, you want to see everything. Um, you would love to, I don't know if you guys have ever been to, uh, well, obviously not been to it, but I, I meant to say, have you guys ever heard of Stanford Theater in uh, Palo Alto? No. No. It's, uh, it's this uh, restoration theater that I think, like, the president of Stanford, uh, he bought this it's just an old school ass 50s theater and they have an organ player pop pop out in front of the, the auditorium oh. uh, in between screening mm. yes. i have heard i have heard of it but yeah go they on do double feature <laughs> uh, yeah i used to go to it all the time in high school and um at junior college and it uh stupid cheap all the food stupid cheap but aside from that i've seen so many uh you know, hit Hitchcock movies for like Hitchcock color movies on there, and so I've I've more or less seen the most pristine uh, way that you can see those in in the most immaculate way possible. Mm. And yeah, obviously, obviously, um, it shits on everything else without a doubt. It's it's the best way to do it. Yeah. But at the same time, I can tell everyone else in the theater, though they're appreciating it, it's not like it's not like you're going to throw uh, any of those color movies on their uh, 60-inch uh, screen at home, and they're really going to like have that much difference of an opinion. And that's just that's just people in general. Like, I think it, the population of people is way way too small to really have to like be that pampered to have to see it that way i don't know how much like i'm not saying that i'm not saying that uh they uh you know they don't appreciate it for what it is but at the same time you kind of got to just compromise with stuff like would you rather have passion of joan of arc to watch whenever you want or do you want it to be missing from all mankind for 50 years until (laughs) someone finds it sitting in some dusty closet yeah i think that's a good point it's like i said before you throw on a vhs for me whatever i'm happy just watching it as long as it's not like unwatchable but even so if it was like well this movie's 400 years old i'd be like all right yeah. whatever. i'd give it a break 
<laughs> I, could, I, could, I could cut it some slack on that right in yeah. that sense. Well, this is like because like I'm, I think of um, there's like the one uh, art filmmaker uh, Matthew Barney. His uh, cream master cycle, there it was like one of those things where it was like hoops to get a to be able to watch it all whatever it is five parts. And I remember our uh, local art gallery actually did bring it in for a theatrical screening over the course of a week, and that was like a pretty big deal, I guess, because we're not really a that biggest uh, you know center or anything like that. But that the the mandate for that gallery was to kind of bring contemporary art to the city that would otherwise never see this. And I mean, it was, it just kind of wound up speaking to the same audience. But I remember like even way back then, like, and this was like probably 2005, I think I was like, I objected to this idea that like, cause he would sell DVDs, like, mm-hmm. uh, but they were like, but then they like the cases were these elaborate sculptural artworks on top of that. And were some like, were thousands of dollars and it's like, Oh, there's only 10. And I was like, this is preposterous and I'm glad that people have ripped these and put them online so anyone can watch these at any point. Cause it's like, who is he making this for? <laughs> Cause, but that's, but that's art stuff. So yeah, that's, that's, that's my chagrin. <laughs> the thing I want to acknowledge is, did you call that thing? The cream master cream master? Yeah. The cream master. Have you looked it up or cream master? No, I'm not going to either. I just, uh, Oh, is that a Fred Olin Ray movie? No, you wish. It, it kind of wants to be that, I think. So, like, speaking of, Jerp. Yeah. Uh, you know David Dakota? Dakota? Yeah, yeah. Famed director of Sorority Babes at the Slime Bowl, Bolarama, Creepazoids, Nightmare Sisters, and some of the absolute worst Puppet Master movies and just flat-out worst movies I've ever seen. Yes. So, I w- Andrew is watching uh, Modern Family the other day, right? You know popular tv show and uh one of the characters the son manny he's like making his own movie and it was called uh they made like a poster for it it was like a in the woods slasher and it said 1313 like evil woods or something uh-huh. and i was like 1313 wow. so i pulled up david dakota i don't know if you're aware of david dakota's uh gay porn franchise but it, it has the yeah, of course the, sort uh title of 1313 things include 1313 nightmare mansion night of the widow boy crazies uh wicked stepbrother hercules unbound uh billy the kid bermuda triangle that's got a lot of beefy boys with abs on the poster but i was like did the people at modern family one of the most popular tv shows in like modern american television right now like do they know that 1313 is a gay porn franchise? They have to, right? To I'm, throw I'm, that in there? I feel like there's some awareness. Yeah. But then it's like, it makes me wonder. It's like this alleged, like, family-friendly show. Are they trying to entice the whole family to watch the gay porn together? Hopefully. I mean, that's cool if that's what they want to do. It's like, you know, power on bud but uh i just i was very surprised by it. and you brought up fred Ray, and uh frankly i had nothing to say about those 4ks and things like that so i'm going to talk about david dakota there you i was going to say i think that's the perfect segue for all those uh for all those uh, art house buddies out there to, to get a get a reality check 
They should, yeah. It's like, yeah, you want to see real cinema? Go watch this guy who's made a hundred movies and go watch his like weird subgenre of gay pornos that he made like I think like twenty movies of. Check that out. They were real. Then you're a film buff. Then you're yeah. legit. Yeah, hundred percent. Richard? Hells yeah. So anyway, uh, and f- to, to Jackson's final comment, what the hell is so special about Wisconsin Death Troop? So Wisconsin Death Troop is a documentary directed by James Marsh, who also directed Man on Wire, uh, that documentary, okay. both the title yeah. of Man. Uh, it's based on a book from the 70s. It's like a photo essay book about mm-hmm. just like, uh, what is it? I'm just looking it up again. Black River Falls. So it's like it's just it's just a bunch of like really great photography of uh, med midwestern rural life, and just depicts people in a very like frank way. It's almost like it almost feels like a lot of like found photographs, but I think most of it is actually all done by a guy named Charles Van Shake. And mm-hmm. I guess the there's two points of reference for it was one Walter Murch, uh, the famed editor. He actually talked at length about Wisconsin Death Trip as a source of inspiration for his return to Oz film. And it was kind of stuck out at me. Like when I first heard about it, I'm like, Oh, that's interesting. And then I found out that like two, three years before I'd even found out about this, uh, James Marsh had made a docudrama of Wisconsin death trip, uh, 99, where it's just like, he kind of like has these reenactments of sort of like these moments from the book. And mm-hmm. when I watched it, uh, last, I've only seen it once. I think I it really hit me in all the right ways. Uh, I'm I love docudramas, and I mm-hmm. love the third person omniscient narrator breaking down things. Uh, there's the story of the um, the school teacher uh, who just like one day she snaps and she starts going around just smashing out the windows of this, like all the town's windows and no one can Mm. explain why. And it's just one of those, like these silent protests. And there's just like this, these, these moments and beats to it that I found, uh, uh, at the time when I watched it, really powerful, and I, I still have a fondness for it. But yeah, mm-hmm. maybe, maybe it hasn't aged well. I I don't know. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe maybe it'll be like real lame when I watch it again. But at the time mm-hmm. when I watched it, and I think I threw up a review on Letterbox, being I think I threw a four and a half its way. But I also I I, I love still Man on Wire, which again I haven't seen for a long time. But uh, I I love the use uh, James Marsh's use of music and narration. And uh, I think he, he knows his way around some imagery. It's too bad. I think he's kind of gone by the wayside as a filmmaker because I don't even know what he works on these days. Oh, yeah. The theory of everything. Maybe he's uh, doing some of his own 1313 style. Yeah. Oh, and he shot four episodes of the the Night Of doc, uh, series with um, John Turturro, that HBO thing that I actually oh. always meant to watch but have not seen. But he worked mm. on half of that. And, yeah, his last documentary was Project Nim. What about RJ's favorite topics? Yeah, I love that thing. A- 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 Project Nim? Uh, about yeah. animal, animals and captivity. I know the adventures and, of Nim. Is that yeah. the same thing? It's about, it's about learning about sign language <laughs> and uh, the, the depths mm. of humanity, trying to reach out to the chimpanzee. Ooh, yikes. I know a sign. Can you see this, Jarrett? Nope. Ryan, do you get are are you getting video of us? Can you see us? Uh or no. <laughs> I was just doing this sign yeah, language. Yes. <laughs> I don't know if you know sign language. Do you know this thing? <laughs> Can't say I do. 
Do you know? Do you have a guess, Jarrett? Nope. It's bullshit, man. Bull, <laughs> bull, pucky. Bullshit. Yeah, I was with the. I was at a school a while ago, and uh, this kid was like, "I know sign language," and I did that. The bullshit, and he was like, "Bullshit," and I was like, "Hey, is it? You do know that? Okay, cool." Hey. Yeah, I see a lot of those translators when the during the politician briefings using that a lot. Oh yeah, it's just bullshit. <laughs> it's fun to do though. You got your arms crossed. Anyways, I got one more email to hit. We're coming oh, up baby. on we're coming up on fifty one minutes. We're we're doing it. From Aaron Lang, no subject. I have to commend you for your performance of the Corman and Nicholson impressions last week. Any chump can do Nicholson, but it takes a real man to deliver a soothing and buttery Corman <laughs> voice. Kudos. Well, thank thank you, Aaron. Uh, buttery. I I love uh, that Roger Corman voice. He's he is he's all those things, both soothing and buttery. Like he's yeah, this charming man. However, so I do you. recall. Oh, I hate when I, when I read the words. However, however, I do recall from a recently past episode that there was some hate speech from your camp and concerns of Star Trek Voyager. Oh shit. This I will uh, not stand. Uh-huh. Oh no! I too used to live in a dark and dreary world of Voyager denial. But some <laughs> years ago, I decided to take a survey of the series. I knew there was no way I could slog through every episode of all seven seasons. So I, this is so nerdy, looked through some episode guides and made a fairly long list of any and every episode that sounded promising or had a major plot or character development. This is like Oliver mm. Granger. This got me through the early seasons pretty quickly and painlessly. However, as the series progressed, I noticed a real spike in quality, and I abandoned my notes and began watching every episode from that point out. After a while, the writers really found their groove, and the show developed a voice that was distinct from the other series. The further the crew is lost in a way, they become increasingly desperate, and their ethics and morals begin to erode. Janeway becomes kind of a badass. And it's super easy to roll your eyes at the hot board character like seven of nine but to my surprise she was really well written and actually provided a needed spark for the show the doctor is kind of a data ripoff but he has a comic strip of vanity which makes him unique all in all i like the characters much more than the cast of ds9 which has real wet Ooh. farts like odo and bashir oh <laughs> don't dude i will not accept this hate speech against odo uh bashir sucks though and annoying ferengi oh. bullshit yeah there's a there's a little bit of that which I have a low threshold for. I will come out and say it straight. Voyager is underrated. Resistance is futile. And wow. my my goodness, uh, I will send this image that Aaron sent along to you, RJ, at a later point. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> we'll 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 uh, we'll approach that next week. But uh, I'm glad to hear this because. Uh, this is what I this that's why I brought it up for. I was like, I'm in the long haul now, and it's like I'm gonna watch DS9. I'm gonna watch Voyager. I know you don't like Voyager, but it's nice to hear other people do. And then my biggest question is Enterprise, because I've heard Enterprise is like the big shit on this on the franchise, but I'm not I'm not totally sure. But uh I, I think it's funny he brings up that seven of nine stuff because I send you those articles all the time. It's not that we have an issue with seven and nine, it's the things that people write articles about seven of nine jerry ryan that uh, <laughs> is particularly egregious so uh i don't know uh what do, what do you think ryan are you a star trek fan at all or what um definitely definitely i mean my dad Jeez. my dad's big on star trek i mean i i used to live uh with some with some roommates back in uh, san jose and uh they 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 binge through all three of those over the span of like a year and a half uh and 
you know, I don't know if I could uh, sit by myself and go through all that, but it's definitely it's definitely fun to uh, to watch it with some friends or some roommates yeah. and uh, kind of you know make make uh, comments here and there about the specific way a line is delivered or a somewhat dated special effect sure i uh, i'm totally on there with you all i gotta say is wait until you turn 30 and there's a global pandemic that closes off the world and you have nothing but time and uh star trek will be your best friend <laughs> oh, i just i just i just i just reset through kirby enthusiasm every, every couple just months. as good just loop just through that good through that every every season over and over nice nice you fit in well here yeah (laughs) that's it for emails we did we we did it but now of Mm -hmm. course is another matter of hey guys what you been creeping on this week what do you what do you want to do jerry you're the you're the boss here i'm the boss rj did you watch any movies this week not a one but i did watch some star trek Oh, okay. Well, you, yeah, you you talk, you do your capsules, and then we'll throw it to Ryan. How about that? All right, Ryan. I I know you just uh, we just talked about Star Trek, but uh, get ready, buddy, because uh, you're you're going in for a wild ride here. Because <laughs> uh, if if you've been listening the last couple of weeks, I've been hammering out these Star Treks, and uh, yeah, I I didn't get any movies this week. But to be fair, I think we had eight hours of Mabuse movies, <laughs> so <laughs> I think I did okay. So I'll, I'll, in the typical fashion that I'm doing now, I'll give you my bullet, my crib notes, Jarrett. And if you want me to elaborate on that at any point, you let me know. Sounds good. So uh, where we left off last week, I am on season three, episode uh, 14. So 314. Uh, Here's my review. Uh, Riker's insatiable lust on trial, two (laughs) out of four stars. (laughs) Oh, shit. So what do you say, like, what's your enjoyment levels of Riker episodes so far? seems like it's on the downside. No, no, I'm not. I I don't dislike Riker. I I like Riker, but sometimes Riker gives me weird vibes where I'm kind of just like, what's up with Riker? What's he <laughs> What's he doing here? You know what I mean? I think definitely season one Riker is way different than I think how season two and three he's been a little bit more fleshed out. He's a huge horn dog. Like, dude is horny as hell. And uh, that's definitely coming up. But uh, this episode is funny because it's like someone sets him up. And the, the whole point is just like he is so horny and so insatiable that he will kill a man just to just to get at some get it a piece, wow. as they put it, as they as they so, put uh, it. Is that like as a, they is, is that dialogue from that episode? It might be. Yeah. It might be. Yeah. Uh, this episode features uh, what's his name from uh, uh, Breaking Bad, the rival cartel leader, uh, not Gus Fring, but the other one with the belt, Hector Salamanco. He's a uh, he's in this one, and uh, that's where his insatiable lust comes in play. I see, but no, yeah, I, I like Riker. I like Riker. Uh, there's no one that I, no one on the ship that I outright don't like, except. Uh, I mean, I think I said before, Deanna Troy bothers me because she like she just falls for people's stories too much, and it's like you gotta you gotta stand up for yourself, girl. Anyways, uh, three three fifteen, uh, Shooter McGavin on the Enterprise <laughs> warship C. Uh, three out of four stars. And then there's also a quote from Guinan, Whoopi Goldberg. She, uh, so this is the episode just 
I got to give you a little context. This is the one where the Enterprise C comes from the past into the future, and uh, they're just like a doomed ship, and then it flips the time, and uh, Tasha Yar is alive again. And so Guinan, as a pixie, she she's just like, nah, something's off here, and she's talking to Tasha Yar and uh, Sidney Crosby, or not Sidney Crosby, what Denise, Denise Crosby. Crosby? Yeah, Sidney Crosby is a hockey player, Jared hockey player so uh, Tasha Yar uh, Denise Crosby she's like I feel weird here Guinan and she's like well yeah you know you're gonna die and your death is gonna be without purpose and that's it and it was just like fuck Guinan is like hitting them with the hard facts like it's like I know you had to tell her that she was gonna die but it was like you could have did it a little more gently you know anyways that's a good episode three out of four stars here wow <laughs> moving on uh 316 Data builds an androgynous yeah. co- uh, child that commits suicide. Three out of four stars. D- does anyone get their ass whooped? Uh, they try. She doesn't like fight anyone, but she's definitely an androgynous. And the Enterprise tries to steal her, and then she the just Enterprise out. She, or the Starfleet. There you go. Federation. The police the, state. The yeah. feds. The feds. They try to steal her, and uh, she opts out for suicide instead. Because she says, your life is too hard. I'm out of here. And you go, whoa. Uh, 317, Worf's brother Tony Todd goes to Washington. Three out of four stars. Cool. Heavy Klingons. Uh, 318, Doppelgangers, one star. Oh, Oh, shit. I hate doppelganger stories so much. I, I don't know if Ryan, this isn't even Star Trek stuff, but things I hate more than anything are, there's three things. Doppelgangers, mind swap, and mind control. I think it is the laziest fucking storytelling <laughs> because it's just like this cheap way to create conflict. It's like a person's not acting the way they would, and it's like that's strange. So the flying's in for a ride later today. <laughs> uh yeah, I uh, I'm gonna okay, I'm gonna put my foot in my mouth because later it's not as much of an the mind control thing isn't as much, but I really hate doppelganger stories because it's just like, come on. It's like, it, it, this is it the only way that though. you could, yeah, like create tension or drama. Like, stupid. Stupid, Jarrett. So in that episode, Picard gets kidnapped and they replace him with a doppelganger and you're just like, nobody cares. Because they don't, like, the one thing I will give the Star Trek credit for is none, no one on the Enterprise believes that it's actually him. So I was like, that's that's better, but still. Uh, I got two more for you, Jared, and then I'm done. Oh, only oh, you didn't get there. Well, we had eight hours of Mabuse. I know. Okay, uh, and actually, I thought season three was uh, short, but it's actually 26 episodes. Really? So I got to 20. Uh, yeah, but season three is 26 episodes, okay. which is nuts. Okay, so 319. Uh, Riker sends Picard to planet Speedo for some <laughs> Vaj. <laughs> There's a character named Vaj. Yeah. She's in a bikini. Yeah. Uh, Ferengi incels cause a scene. <laughs> two out of four stars. I think I remember that. Picard goes to the pleasure pa- planet. Yeah. Uh, and Riker sets them up so that babes are constantly off. Babes and dudes are constantly offering like their sexual appendages to him. And he's like, why is everyone trying to like get down on me? And they're like, well, it's because of this. And he's like, Riker. You horny son of a bitch. And then uh, a Ferengi is really mad that uh, a woman isn't having sex with him. So he gets really, he, he causes a scene. Oh, right. What's the name of the planet? It's like Riza. 
Uh, it's something like that, yeah. And it's introduced. You get this character named Vaj, uh, which apparently she is in DS9 also. Mm, I vaguely remember something like that. Uh, it could be one episode of TNG and one episode of DS9. I don't know. Is she like a? But, she's like an. Uh, oh, okay. Is she like she's a, like Indiana Jones? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she's an archaeologist. Yeah. Fuck. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. She finds this thing, and then like, yeah, and then future aliens come to steal it. And Picard's like, "I'm just trying to hang out." You see him in a speedo a little bit. Everyone's in speedos. Uh, it's pretty wild, dude. Pretty mm, wild. Pretty pretty crazy. Here's my last one for you. Three twenty. Alien Space Egg hates Romulans. Two out of four stars. Oh. So uh, there were some good ones in there uh, for sure. There were some not good ones, but uh, yeah, the sex planet with Riker. He's insatiable, dude. Absolutely insatiable. So uh, that's it for me. <laughs> that was your viewing. Yep. Ryan, what have you been watching Whoa. this week? Uh, this week, let's see. Uh... Pop open my uh, YouTube history here. <laughs> oh, is, uh, oh, is that what you have? Is, it, is this all just like based on YouTube views? You don't have like a notebook, or do you have a, a pile of like watch? Oh, well, I have a box soon enough, I guess. Oh, yeah, damn right. It, it makes um, it so much easier. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this... I finally watched after all these years. Finally watched uh, Turin Horse. Oh wow! <laughs> just threw that on. Oh, yeah, I've been waiting for someone to throw uh, the full thing on YouTube oh, shit. for a while now. So I watched that. That was that was pretty much met my expectation. That was cool. Uh, I don't know if you guys seen that one. I have not seen The Turn no. Horse, and I know RJ, without a <laughs> doubt, has never seen The Turn Horse. What if I told you I had, though, Jared? What well, would you have said? Because I know you, you are a self-hating Hungarian. I, I never said I was self-hating. Well, it's because that's why you have such problems whenever Bellatar is mentioned. You're always like, no, I don't do that. My my issue... Oh, but I mentioned him twice, too. You must be human. I, I am. I'm. It's not... I wouldn't say self-hate. It's mostly... It's just like... No, not hate at all. I like being Hungarian. I love cabbage rolls. What are, we, what are you talking about? <laughs> RJ, are, love you, that shit. Are, are you familiar with uh, the, like... The initial premise of the Turin horse? Not at all. I have no idea what you guys are Allow allow me to read from the plot on Wikipedia. The film begins with a narrator explaining German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche his infamous mental breakdown in Turin, Italy in 1889 after seeing a man continually whip his horse, which yet refused to move. Uh, Is that what the movie is about? Well, I haven't seen it. Ryan, can you speak to this? Uh, yeah, you know how those synopsis go. Um, but that's just like the opening <laughs> bit of the plot, and then it gets into okay. uh, the film focuses on a pair of impoverished potato farmers, father and daughter, and their wow. horse, stated by the narrator, literally or metaphorically, to be the same one seen by Nietzsche. Mm. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's... I guess that's fair enough. Um, okay. I mean, as far as Dolatar uh, goes, I mean, I'm kind of more really just the uh, that like super super visceral aesthetic is what really gets me going. Just being able to film a horse up close with all this w- windy atmosphere while catching it all in this massively continuous shot. I mean, I'm sure that's probably the the biggest staple of that movie and just kind of tar style in general, like 
I could definitely understand why no one would want to watch more than five minutes of it if they're really uh, trying to uh, be entertained. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Have you seen uh, Workmeister Harmonies? Yeah, a while ago. That one I would need to kind of rewatch yeah. if I would want to um, to get into like a creep's uh, synopsis of it. But yeah, I think that's a creep, right? At some, some point. No, n- none of his movies not? have. No, none of them hit the have hit Criterion Collection at oh, all. Oh, really? Yeah, I oh, mean, wow. I know that there is like someone Likely. has re- someone has restored these. Some um, some house has done it and like put them out and they're floating around and there's mm-hmm. talk of like where it could wind up. And I think there has been talk that it would be criterion, but, uh, I, yeah, I haven't, I've not, uh, had any confirmation on that. Like there's like an old DVD now of Workmaster Harmonies. It still looks really good for a DVD, but yeah, his, his stuff has not been given a, the, the real proper treatment as the kids say, as RJ mm-hmm. says, when he doesn't yeah. aid on his Hungarian heritage. I never yeah. have. I don't know what you're talking about. I love goulash, man. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> But otherwise, uh, let's see what else. Um, I watched. Uh, you mentioned Stan Brakhage. I mean, this guy mm-hmm. isn't. I wouldn't say like uh, a copy of Stan Brakhage, but what's that guy's name? Uh, have you guys ever seen uh, Such a Beautiful Day? Can't remember the dude's the animator's name. Oh, I, I know the uh, movie, Don yeah. Don Hertzfeld, or is that who you're? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was watching that the other day. Uh, just his some of his stuff, which is kind of, kind of like has a traces of Stan Brackage influence in it, I guess. Right. Oh, yeah, but I guess it's, like, to the service of, like, I guess he's still doing, like, animated, like, dark comedy, dark humor. RJ, have you, you've watched Don Hertzfeld stuff, right? I've seen some of it. Uh, I haven't seen It's a Beautiful Day. I, I know it. I, I've seen it pop up on like, Netflix all the time. I just haven't actually yeah. watched it, so I, I'm familiar with his work. I just don't know... Yeah, uh, I couldn't speak to it. I haven't seen enough or anything like that. Yeah, it's somewhere like there is definitely elements of like the his familiarity with uh, like experimental film, uh, like Brackage yeah. and stuff like that. But also kind of like his aesthetics. It's like it's very deadpan humor. And I know it seems like uh, I have noticed that several people I think that I follow on Letterboxd they seem to have come to Don Hertzfeld lately and I don't know they don't have that same love that I have I guess but I mean I haven't rewatched a lot of this stuff for a long time but I remember like when I first saw Rejected uh like in a you know downloaded downloaded from Napster (laughs) in like 2000 2001 and like I watched that so many times uh never like it was just so amazing but uh yeah I get (laughs) It's like I don't know if uh, either of you are familiar with uh, Salad Fingers. <laughs> it's kind of like that, that same I'm... that same era of uh, thing and event of yeah. early like, internet animation. It seems like. Yeah, I so, know about yeah. Salad Fingers and his rusty spoons. And his rusty spoons. That's right. Mm-hmm. Not to keep blasting people with black and white stuff, but because uh, I, I like to go see movies pretty often, and I haven't had the chance lately. So I guess just to throw out the one that's that, that hit me the most that I saw in theaters in like the last whatever half a year or so was I think I think I saw it on your letterbox. You, you liked it was The Lighthouse. Yes, Peter. yeah. Uh, that 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 got me. That got me going pretty good. I thought that was pretty pretty incredible for. For what it's worth yeah uh yeah lighthouse mm-hmm. is amazing uh that is a movie mm-hmm. that i'm so glad to have seen it in theater and yeah same uh, they, they, they threw it you do you know what's up with that i've been trying to get some clear I, I i found one reddit thread trying to look at it they said that 
they they threw it out because I remember I was going to go, I saw it with my friend and then uh, like a, a week later uh, I was going to go see it with my dad and it, and they, and they just threw it out of theaters and I read somewhere people even had their tickets refunded. Like mm. they just got pulled out real quick. You, really? you know no, I've never heard about that at all. Mm. Yeah. And I haven't seen anybody talk about it or anything like that. I guess maybe it just got a super minimal release, but I was surprised that they like because that was a twenty four. I mean, and it and it played yeah. it played here in Creepsville. <laughs> so there uh, so many ads for it. There are ads all over the place for it, and it's two big profile actors. Yeah. Weird. Maybe uh, it's made so many people mm. angry. It got the uh, the Dreamcatcher treatment where they they had to put up signs oh, saying yeah. no, no refunds. And uh, mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I I haven't really met anyone who's disliked that movie at all. Uh, I haven't gone I haven't gone on my way for it either. I think it's like going to only attract people who are going to like it for the most part. Mm-hmm. Maybe be yeah. slightly disappointed because it's a it's a very peculiar movie and it isn't like The Witch. While at the same time, it's so much like The Witch. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that definitely one of the best on-screen duos I've seen in a long time. On top of it, there's just a lot of there's a lot of ju- like for me flawless juxtaposition where you have uh, I wouldn't say horror, but you have uh, like just massively suspenseful stuff, and and then it'll jump between ext- some of the funniest stuff I've seen in a while, and then on top of that, just throwing. 21st century film techniques into a very dated style like that closing image i don't want to spoil it for anyone who hasn't seen it but that Mm -hmm. closing image not the very last one but the uh the the one the uh the close-up of robert pattinson and i guess that doesn't really spoil anything that that visual effect i thought was absolutely like uh, unseeable it was i was just really impressed by it yeah, I need to rewatch it again or <laughs> watch it again because I saw it the one time and that was a, a fantastic experience. Yeah. And yeah, I, I think like from off the top of my head, the thing that I find that really resonates still is the sense of place. Because considering it's like mm. it's a it's a composited space, like it doesn't it's not a place that exists. Yeah. It's like it's all piecemealed. And then there's like shots of it that like it replicates it better than a silent. It would have ever looked as a silent film. Uh, it's like kind of the super real version of a silent film with sound yeah. and like the those like early the that uh, the full frame and the use the the real understanding and difference between like light and darkness and the everything in between and it's just like well it's the it's a story of two men on an island and uh, yeah. and just like having loose at that and just like it's very it's so simple but yeah that, two guys one vision that's right. <laughs> so delicious i think it's a good um i think it's a good uh it's a good no pun intended but testament to the testament of dr mcuse i think there's a lot of uh kind of those similar uh amazing uh uses of sound oh. like some some of uh fritz lang's i mean yeah i know you guys have touched a lot about it on him but you know how it is mm-hmm. yeah uh, totally two guys in uh one show is what people say about our podcast right trip <laughs> that's right <laughs> Just swishing it around in our mouths. But if I could throw one more out, uh, just yep. I finally got to yep. watch Curb season ten. I've mentioned it before. Nice. But, uh, have you guys seen season ten yet? I have not. I I actually, uh, me and uh, Andy, we just watched it. Uh, like start of COVID, it got added to a uh, Crave, which is one of our 
like uh, streaming things up here that is HBO. And uh, I, I actually, I just watched it. So I'm up to date. What did you think, man? You know, um, as far as, as far as season nine went, I thought it was a, a massive uh, improvement from season nine. Oh, that's good to hear. As far as, as far as episode structure and everything, even, even composition. Like I think, I think the composition to that show is really underrated that I think yeah. they missed the mark a lot in season nine with as far as a lot of the shots were set up, they were trying to go for a little more modern stuff, but, um, the, 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 the spike store theme of the season was, was excellent. Uh, some of the guests, there was a lot more characters who were, were on Larry's side in this yeah. show, in the season that I really like from ben, uh, Vince Vaughn to John Hamm and, Mm-hmm. <laughs> just the way uh the way he's always befriending the little man the little men like uh like when he befriends fred armison and uh, <laughs> i thought there were a lot of a lot of dope a lot of dope uh, little side characters for larry to mess mess around with this season i mean there were definitely good ones in season nine but as far as how they tie into the to the season goes i thought it was just, specifically the john ham episode i thought was yeah. pretty much as good as anything from the the original seasons. Mm. No, I think you're right actually. They had a lot of a uh, like kind of contrary to what you might typically think with his is there's a lot of people who actually side with him in this season yeah. more than like anything else and uh yeah, I I really like this throw line where it's just uh like the through line where it's just the the revenge store and then the kind of cameos you get from that. And you, you do actually, it's one of the seasons where like Larry's typical Larry, but you, you still kind of root for him and you're like, he's actually being a nice guy in this stuff, even though he's still kind of like he's Larry. Whereas, uh, yeah, season nine with the season nine was the Fatwa season, right? I think. (laughs) Yeah. Like that one, it had some good stuff, but, uh, I think, it was it's almost too big it's like the episode or season of curb yeah. where they do the uh the producers thing and it's it's a little too big but uh, this one's nice it's just like larry's a petty guy and he doesn't like when people fuck around and he creates his revenge store so it's a good season i like it too yeah yeah man. yeah i think season nine i thought the pickle gambit was pretty on par with the rest of the stuff but mm. i felt larry's persona was a little too exaggerated like I think a yeah. great example of it was uh, when him and Lin Manuel Miranda mm-hmm. are they're they're racing and competing for this the the seat behind the desk in that yeah. one episode. You remember that? I yeah, I do. Where some of that's where a lot of the um, stuff kind of became over exaggerated, fell mm-hmm. out of line at the curb kind of anthology, and a lot of times in season nine. But I thought they stick stuck with the roots and the core of it really well in season 10 for the, for the most part. Like, obviously I'm going to take uh, season one through eight any day, but you know, for mm-hmm. what it's worth, I thought Jeff, I thought Jeff's uh, roles in episodes were a lot more polished. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, Ted's always great. I think Ted's the most underrated character in that show. <laughs> the, the, the level of humility he's willing to play on himself yep. is incredible. Ted Danson is really good. I always liked Bob Einstein, uh, Super Aww. Dave Osborne himself. Oh, hell yeah. Oh, man. I was, cousin or whatever, right? Yeah, they bring him back. But I think I was, I think I sent it to Jarrett. But uh, when that Palestinian, I think it's season eight, the Palestinian chicken place opens up. <laughs> yeah. And uh, 
Bob Einstein doesn't want to go because he's just he, he's like he's like these anti-Semitic like guys they don't care. And then there I think I, I got a screenshot. I think I sent it to Jarrett. He's wearing his yarmulke and he's just like, let's go eat at this anti-Semitic shithole. He's like, let's get it over with. And it's, it's like, ooh, it's a high quality comedy, right, Jarrett? Yeah, I uh I didn't finish season nine. And I'm like I'm I'm a I consider myself a pretty big Curb fan. I've talked about this sure. on the show before, and uh, yeah. yeah, but like it's it's definitely been as the years go on and there's these longer gaps. Uh, I was like, oh, this is coming back. Well, it's still going to be good. Season nine, I think, had the w- bit that like I'd still like thought was like pretty amazing, where uh, you get to see like sh- not Cheryl but uh, uh, Danson's wife or ex-wife, Mary. Mary. Yeah, because it's the thing Mary where like, Steenberg you, Mary Steenberg, because you yeah. see her, she's like, well, she's like, yeah, we've broke up. Yeah. And she said, like, Larry Larry's, Larry's, Larry's not, Larry's, yeah, she asked her out. She's like, yeah, you're not my type. And then, like, before the end of the episode, you see her with this guy, and it's just Larry. <laughs> like, And it's just, like, this guy that looks just like him. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was so good. Because it's, like, it's an unexpected thing, but it's also very, it makes so much sense. Because, uh, you know, that would, of course, drive him nuts. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like, the the... I think the brilliance of it is just like, I don't know. Plus also as they've moved away from like the handheldness from the earlier seasons and it has become yeah. so much more slick and polished and looks just like a contemporary like comedy show. Like you don't, there's no difference between it and like, you know, parks and rec or, you know, community. It looks just the same. Now you're like, Oh, it's missing that like uh, immediacy yeah. of the comedy it's that I really that, liked. It's missing that four by three wider lens uh kind of like more camcorder style that yep. inverted seinfeld so well and yeah i really missed that you yeah you hit the nail with the hammer right there with camera styles just just can't get into it the same way yeah that was always like the thing i found really appealing about curb is it just was so stripped down kind of like uh, the office but then it took it in this like new uh, direction of like how do you break from the sitcom like how do you go from that and they did it yeah. really well and now it's kind of like it's settled into its groove but yeah i never finished season nine so I'm, it's encouraging to hear that season 10 is an improvement on uh nine definitely season 10 is good you're like the wraparound is uh in the very it's not a spoiler in the very first episode he goes to a coffee shop and the coffee's not hot enough and he goes hey uh mocha joe why is your coffee not hot enough and he says it's hot as it needs to be so the whole season he's creating a rival coffee shop be- for spite just in the night and that's it it's a it's a spite next store. To his store next to mocha joe's store yeah oh. ne- next door. That, wow. that's, the, that's the entire season so that's what i mean it's it's like they dial it back a little bit where it's not the broadway musical like fatwa is it's just like it's just larry being larry he's just like fuck you he's like i'll, I'll do it then i'll do what you do it's good stuff <laughs> Okay, that sounds pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. I watched one other movie this week. Ah, nice. Let us know. And that was Color Out of Space, directed by Richard Stanley. Uh, are you too familiar with Richard Stanley? Uh, what about you, Ryan? I do not think so. So Richard Stanley is kind of like, he his persona is he is like a a wizard, like a real life wizard. He believes in magic, Shit. like chaos magic. Um, mm-hmm. He directed a movie called Hardware back in like the late nineteen ninety, actually, and then followed mm-hmm. that up with this other movie called Doctor Moreau. I've seen, Doct- I've seen and that. yes, and then most famously, I guess for a lot of people, uh, there's yeah. the documentary about the failed uh, Island of Doctor Moreau movie that John yeah. Frickenheimer mm-hmm. took over from. Uh, and then he's kind of like been in the wind making like short films and a lot of. Doc- 
documentaries about like his like interests. Mm -hmm. And finally, Spectre Vision, Elijah Wood's uh, company, shows up and they're like, "Hey, Richard Stanley, we think you're you were a genius in the '90s and weren't given a fair shake." You, what, what do you want to make? He's like, I want to make Lovecraft movies. And they're like, that sounds that sounds okay by us. And it's like, hey, who's going to be in it? Nicolas Cage. And it's like, oh, fuck me. So, <laughs> so hell yeah. So Color Out of Space uh, is an adaptation of the H.P. Lovecraft story, Color Out of Space, with a, a U, mm-hmm. that uh, British-Canadian spelling. But in this, it's Color Out of Space, American mm-hmm. style, with no U. And hmm. is a loose telling of the short story that you might recall from uh, the short story in Creepshow, starring Stephen King. Uh, the meteor shit. Yes, the the one I of the gotcha. one, or uh, also played recently with the uh, serial numbers filed off in the film Annihilation, which also oh, is it, is another iteration of Color Out of Space. And there's been several like short films that kind of touch upon Color yeah. Out of Space in different ways. But for whatever reason, it seems like a lot of Lovecraft adaptations are failures. And it seems like the ones that are inspired by it and not like a direct thing are more successful. So as always though, uh, being a horrorsman and being a, a Lovecraft fan, like many of people are on the internet, it's not special mm-hmm. anymore. Uh, I was like, I, I got to check out this color out of space. I've heard very mixed things. And, uh, Richard Stanley hasn't directed a quote, real movie, like, a, like you know, a, with actors that, you know, and mm-hmm. famous people for like a really long time. Does he still got it? And in some ways, I will say, yes, he still has it. Uh, This movie, I guess, in the areas where it counts when you're doing a Lovecraft story, body horror and cosmic horror, it does them excellently. Some of the images and whatnot, I think, are, like, super fascinating. Uh, I was not expecting them. And then especially when it starts getting into cosmic horror land, I was like, hey, this is, like, really, really good. why Mm -hmm. Why haven't more people done this? On the flip side of this, though, is sort of the family drama, which reminded me a lot of Ari Aster's movies, um, which, I mean, Mm. I'm in this uh, minority space, I think, of internet fandom, of internet movie critics and stuff like that, that love Ari Aster unabashedly and think he's a brilliant genius. I think he makes fairly well-made movies that are pretty well-written, but there's just something missing like for mm-hmm. me, like completely where there's like, I find them, I think, I think he's making comedies like a Todd Solon's comedy. He's not making these things that are like scaring the shit out of me and reinventing horror in any way. And the fact mm-hmm. that like, he's like proudly announced that his next movie is going to be a horror comedy. And this is like really out there. I'm like, <sighs> but that's, he's never not made a horror comedy. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like, I don't know to me, it's like all of a sudden now it's going to go in a step further than that. That could either be really successful or it could be really, really bad. Cause horror comedy mm-hmm. is bad, but I don't think an Ari Aster horror comedy is anything like, you know, a scary movie or anything like that. Or mm-hmm. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the, so the human drama stuff is plagued by Nicolas Cage, who does not he is not in a good Cage mode. He is in like what is mm. he doing? Vampires kiss kind of territory for me. His accent doesn't really make sense. He feels he feels very unchecked. Uh, like Richard Stanley was yeah. like very fascinated to see what he was going to do next, and just went with that, which is an unfortunate thing to do with Nicolas Cage. Uh, the basically actually. 
the other, the other thing this reminded me of, not only Ari Aster, this also reminded me of Godzilla, King of the Monsters, where the God... <laughs> so because I say this, if you hear me out, the monster stuff is like five stars, and here the cosmic oh. horror, body horror is five stars, but it's dragged down by humans who are like real, Damn. like it's like the worst, lamest family you've ever seen that you're just like, I don't really care what happens to these people. Like They're just like here to be like you know, mashed up into, ma- you know, muck and into wells and into, like, mm-hmm. llama monsters and stuff like that. But uh, but then they get, when it's just about the, the, the stuff you want, it's, like, really, really good. Uh, yeah. Really effective stuff. And it's got, at moments, really good uh, photography. It's got a really interesting uh, color palette. I wish it was better photographed. Uh, I feel mm. like Richard Stanley maybe is a little out of, touch maybe with like how movies look right now so he thinks they're going to turn out a certain way but it seems like maybe it's a budgetary thing i don't know this is me speculating about why this movie kind of looks not the best at times but mm-hmm. that, that all being said i i mean i don't know i've seen some people down on this and i've seen some people really really like it i'm like right in the middle because i can't like throw myself way over into like loving this by any means uh i think it's more yeah. successful than mandy <laughs> Uh, so mm, in a lot of ways, good. it's like, it's better than Mandy. It's better than Ari Aster. That sounds like for a lot of people, it'd be like an unbelievable classic of a film, but it's not. It's just like, I don't feel yeah. that strongly about those movies either, but it's a slam dunk for you though. That's a slam dunk. Uh, so I don't know. Have I sold you two on this movie? If, uh, neither of you have seen it before, um, oh, will you be checking this out? <laughs> Sorry. What'd you say? It's very me sold. Sold? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, no, it uh, it sounds good to me, man. Like I actually uh even even uh your hesitation with the old Nikki Cage, I think that sounds good too. I'm on board. Excellent. Love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's I don't know, like I said, it uh RJ I'm sure you'll be borrowing this come October. Maybe sooner, I don't know. Or, or sooner we'll get sure. a, we'll get a secondary take. That's it for creeping. Um and as far as news goes, I just really would want to draw attention, unless you guys have anything happening in the nope. world today, uh, about the September releases from Criterion. Nice. Very, very exciting things. Let me just pull up my list here of those said titles announced just two days ago. We've got ourselves another installment of the Martin Scorsese's World Cinema Project coming out. Uh, including restorations of films by Med Hondo, Humberto Solas, Hector Bamenko, and other undersung luminaries of international cinema. How how about that? Those are all some of my all-time faves. This is volume three. I have not seen any of the uh, World Cinema Project. I know some of them have been uh, showing up on the Criterion Collection, or channel, Um, Mm. but... I know I've seen some people have been watching that uh, one movie, Black Girl. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I've not seen any of the world cinema movies, not even The the Housemaid, which I, th- I think sounds actually up my alley. What about you, Ryan? You seen any of those world cinema projects? Oh, I recognize a couple of them. I haven't, uh, they've been kind of, kind of those things that are kind of like on your radar. But, yeah. You know. But uh, no, I haven't. I haven't sat through any of these. But no, I've seen some. I've seen a couple from the uh, the previous ones. Okay. Definitely, I definitely trust Scorsese when it comes to world cinema. Even the um, that movie I mentioned, Tukey Boopy. I think he did a 
he did the intro for it when they restored it at con so i know he's got his he's got his uh looking in the right places for stuff for sure and then what else we got here we got a a blu-ray releases of uh jules dassin's movies of naked city and brute force uh brute force is pretty good naked city's okay um Love him. Love him. Best. RJ loves him. He's the biggest <laughs> fan. Uh, as mentioned before, we got David Lynch's The Elephant Man, which uh, is noteworthy as RJ just put it on his favorite films on Letterboxd. I'll, I'll have you know that was weeks ago before this announcement. I'm not one of them bad but, bandwagon. Well, I know, but fairly recently, though. That's like only the last few weeks. I mean, for the yep. last several years, they had your list had not changed. Now Elephant Man has stepped up. I thought I I thought I should mix it up a little bit. So it was, it was maybe a month ago I threw Elephant Man and War of the Worlds in there, and uh, I'll just have you know, now I've been both, those movies. Both, both Criterion's now too. I've been I was supporters before the fact, and I know that that sounds like a, a real dinky thing to say, but uh, I just <laughs> want it to be known there that uh, that's the way it is. And, uh, you, wrong are, with are you a fan of Elephant Man, Ryan? Definitely, definitely. I it's not quite um, didn't quite hit me like a racer head, but it's a classic. It's uh, it, it should be on anybody's like uh, to watch list if they haven't already seen it. And then we have a new Claire Denis movie, Beau Claire Travel Denis? to the collection. Yep. Uh, which is a movie that like I've been wanting to actually see for like a several years, and just like I knew that there's like some cruddy DVDs floating around for a while, and I was always like, "Well, one day, one day," and now one day I will 100% have to watch it as long as I'm not dead by then, right, RJ? We'll both be dead. That's what ten years from now. Yeah, that's like I don't even know what spine 1060 for all I yeah, know. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, we'll be we're done. done. And uh, mm. finally, uh, we have Christ Stopped at uh, Ibali, directed by, uh, what timing, Francesco Rossi, the man who brought mm. Salvatore Giuliano. Wow. You think people are going to check out that episode now? Oh, yeah. They're just kicking down the doors to watch them Rossi. Mm. Uh, the one, so one thing I saw was this movie will apparently not be available via like Amazon.ca or something like that uh, in Canada. Because for some reason, some some weird company in Canada probably owns the rights to this, and it can't be distributed in Canada. But that's what the internet's for. Hmm. Strange. Uh, but that's about it for news, unless you, uh, Ryan, anything of note you can think of. <laughs> oh, uh, I was gonna say that um, both of those last two movies you mentioned have. Pretty damn good cinematography, I'll say that much. I mean, are they, uh, you know, again, it kind of comes down to the stories for everybody now, but I mean, if you appreciate technical work, definitely, definitely worthy of getting thrown on the Criterion Collection quality. That's, that's that's all we need something to get into that collection. Some days, as we've discovered, you go, Yeah, why is this here? You go, What is the point of this? In a high pitched, <laughs> in a high pitched voice? What is three women? Baking a question? <gasps> well, gentlemen, we've got a movie to review. And after the break, I don't know. We're locked in a podcast. It's going to blow. It's been good knowing you. 
Just uh, hit him with the water main, dude. This is the Criterion Creeps podcast, and tonight we're talking about The Testament of Dr. Mabuse from 1933, directed by Fritz Lang. And we're joined by a Patreon co-host, Ryan Norris. Hi, Ryan. Mm. (laughs) Yo, yo, what's good? 
God, uh, not much. Not much. <laughs> not we're much talk- is we're, good. <laughs> we're talking about Dr. Mabuse or Mabuse. Which, which one do you prefer, guys? Mabuse or Mabuse? Uh, whatever, I... Whatever. Sorry. No, go ahead. Go ahead. You can say whatever tickles the art house people's fancy. You know, I uh, I thought it was Mabuse. And then uh, throughout the course of the films we watched, I, I believe it's Mabuse. Mm-hmm. Mabuse? But, uh, you know, yeah, I, I'm with you, Ryan. Whatever, whatever people want is fine. Mabuse? Mabuse? Whatever you guys go with, whatever. Mabuse caboose? Sure, that too. Or as uh, I mentioned last week in the uh, the wrap-up, that when I sent M- Mabuse to RJ, it came back as Dr. Manure. Yeah, he's like, when are you going to watch those Dr. Manures? And I was like, what the hell are you talking about, dude? <laughs> It's a true story. True story. The tagline for this film, gents. Madman, monster, murderer, scientist. Whoa. Whoa. It was all it was very alliterative to that last one. Mm-hmm. And the synopsis. Synopsis from Letterboxd. After a detective is assaulted by thugs and placed in an insane asylum run by Professor Baum, he observes the professor's preoccupation with another patient, the criminal genius Dr. Mabuse, the hypnotist. Mm. When Mabuse's notes are found to be connected with a rash of recent crimes, Commissioner Lohman must determine how Mabuse is communicating with the criminals despite conflicting reports on the doctor's whereabouts and capture him for good. So... Testament of Dr. Mabuse. This is a movie that's been on my radar for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. It's it's Fritz Lang. It's 1933. It has a really cool cover from the, on the Criterion DVD with all the, uh, whatever is the spiral graph kind of graphic over top Faces. of a man's face, the, the hypnotism. And mm. I'm like, man, I, I, I mean, I like these, uh, these twenties and thirties movies, and this is a, this is a soundy. It's got audio on top of those 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 crisp black and white photographs that I know that Fritz Lang likes to shoot. Uh, yeah, I'm all in, baby. But here I am, finally watching it in 2020. It took a long, long time, mm-hmm. and I've had this DVD for several years. And in fact, uh, as I was telling Ryan uh, a couple days ago. I reached over to pick it up to watch it, and the the plastic wrap had never been cracked before. This so this was like a, all new to me and a total blind viewing. Um, so for the for the review we're doing, we're, we'll talk about Testament of Doctor Mabuse because that's what people are here about. But uh, we're going to also mm-hmm. be, I guess, talking about a little bit about these uh, these other Fritz Lang uh, Mabuse movies because mm-hmm. uh, th- th- he's not made not one but not two but three. Mabuse movies over the course of what f- 50 years give or take a year or two I guess yeah somewhere around there sure. uh, going all the way back with uh, Dr. Mabuse The Gambler from 1922 and mm-hmm. 1000 Eyes of Dr. Mabuse from 1968 pretty pretty cool right it just rolls off your tongue doesn't it right off the tongue Mm-hmm. So again, I had never seen these before. I didn't really even know too much about it, though. I do notice that uh, on Letterbox uh, under genre, mm-hmm. this uh, amongst other things, crime drama. It also mentions horror, and I was like, "Huh, mm. horror?" You say? I wonder what that means. Because sometimes people just throw these things in there, and like they they try to justify that, like, "Well, horror has been around so long," and like, let's try to grab any movie that has some sort of like 
spooky element and uh, label sure. it that way. And uh, it's kind of a reach because there's definitely some low counts of horror in the in certain decades and certain years. Definitely more so in the late the late thirties, where you're, it's a pretty tall order to find any. But mm-hmm. so I went into this like, really not knowing too much about this Mabuse. So I I did the the smart thing I think, and I mm-hmm. started off watching The Gambler from 1922. <laughs> Mm, Mabuse um, the Gambler. Mabuse the Gambler. And what's the uh, runtime on that bad boy, Jer? It's like, what's what's time between friends? You know, maybe maybe the real movie was the uh, the Mabuses we made along the way. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Is this cinematic Mabuse? It could be. It could be. Yeah. So uh, Mabuse the Gambler available on the Criterion Channel. Jared. Wow, see, I'll, I'll let you finish. I see I I didn't even look it up uh because I I have I have the Fritz Lang uh the silent films box set from Kino Lorber. Oh, good old nerd. good old Mr. Kino and uh-huh. uh so I, I had this at my fingertips and I was like that this is it. I'm going to pull the trigger. I'm going to mm-hmm. I'm going to do it up. I'm going to watch this gambler the the much beloved gambler film. And yes, mm-hmm. RJ this mm-hmm. is uh, clocks in. I think over four hours. I believe it's four and a half hours. Jeff. Yeah, I, th- I think it is four and a half hours because part one mm-hmm. is two and a half hours of pure nonstop silent film action, and mm-hmm. then part two is like it's just another two hours. It's a uh, so on the Criterion Channel. It was a it it wasn't separated by parts. It was just a a straight block, four and a half hours silent film. So uh, that's what I that's what I was on board for this week. Uh, I don't know about how Ryan, if uh, if he if he indulged in this uh, delicacy, if uh, that's how he viewed it, also. Well, if I'm quoting the the movie correctly, you gotta just eat some cocaine, you limp dick, and you'll be able to stay awake through the whole thing. I I do think that that is an actual quote from this 1922 movie because that's pre-code, right, Jarrett? Yes, pre-code. Yeah, yeah. pre-code. Oh, yeah. So they could do oh, whatever yeah. they felt like. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. So I, I started off with that and uh-huh. um gotta say I was not impressed with a gambler. Now don't okay. get me don't get me wrong. I think uh from like a production standpoint, this movie looks amazing. The mm-hmm. sets, the the size of those sets, the uh the cinematography, the the technical things. For nineteen twenty two, this is a pretty impressive production. Mm-hmm. But I was just so <laughs> uninterested in what this was presenting to me. Sure. I, yeah, I, I don't know. I just was like, I, I started this like at nine in the morning. I was like, damn, I'm going to do it. I'm going to watch the gambler. And mm-hmm. like, I just was like, okay, so there's this train station, there's a train and there's a guy and he's getting a notebook and it's like, he's going to crack the now. Oh wait. Okay. Now we're going to do some, uh, stock market manipulations and, uh, trading places style, trading places style. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Seek that, that... some disguises and some, uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I was not feeling the gambler this week, my friends. Would you have preferred The Gambler with Mark Wahlberg? Who, or perhaps uh, Twenty One, starring <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Spacey, Spacey. <laughs> or uh, uh, I don't know, oh, the, or, that's, the, that's or fine, the Gambler? Uh, that's fine. So, yeah. I 
Ryan, do you want to say anything or do you want me to uh, go into a little bit of plot and tell you what I thought? What, what would you prefer, bud? You want to go first or you want me to go first? I'll just stay with the, the traditional format of your guys' show. I'll let you have the floor and I'll come in right after you. Okay, sure. Uh, so I will actually, I'm going to surprise everyone here and I'm going to tell you, Jared. I think Mabuse the Gambler is not bad. It's not bad. Uh, yeah. Uh, what I would be lying if I didn't say that. Uh, I, I would be lying if I I didn't say I fell asleep once or twice during the, <laughs> the filming of this movie. But I did. I did go back. I didn't like just power on like missing an hour or anything like that. Uh, well, he is hypnotizing people a bunch of times, so I don't blame you if you got 100%. trained into that. Yeah, a hundred percent. He's a he's hypnotizing you. He's a somnambulist name for that was nerm uh yeah so we got mabuse the gambler uh you're introduced to this guy and you're you see him it's a very nice scene where he's kind of flicking through cards of his own disguises and he's like who do i want to be today uh and you're introduced to him his cocaine riddled sidekick and his uh lackeys and uh, all these people that are under his hypnotic influence. So in the preamble, I did talk about how I don't like mind control, but this is one of those things. I know I, I know I'm a walking contradiction because it's like, oh, I don't like pseudoscience and things like that. But 1922 hypnotism, that's cool with me. I'm on board with that. No problem. Uh, so you have this guy. He's got lots of different uh different aliases, different costumes of what he's doing. What does he use it for? To gamble and to manipulate people into what we'll get in the later movie as the reign of crime and things like that. He's all about sending a message, Jarrett, and uh, taking down the upper crust and taking what is theirs. So we got Mabuse. He's playing, putting on costumes, just like in Trading Places with Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy. He's wearing a disguise. He's going in. He's buying low. He's selling high. It's the ultimate American dream. He's getting in those stonks. Uh, He's doing that. And then uh, you have a lot of cool stuff with, like, gambling where you see there's some poker games, shit like that. But then you also see games where it's, like, men in tables and there's, like, gambling carts flying at them. And you just put chips in. I have no idea what that game is. I didn't look it up. That's fine. Uh, but you have that. Uh, you have, I think this movie has a few other cool things where, so you have some stuff like that. You have a lot of that German, like, expressionism stuff, the Caligari type things with the, like, rigidy staircase things. You would know more about that than I would, Jared, because you're art art guy. Uh, so he's he's using his thing he to gamble. He targets one big upper crust guy. It kind of goes wrong. And then people are looking for him. He's getting there's like plots of blackmail and conspiracies and prosecutors and people wanting to sue each other. But no one really knows who he is because he's changing identities all the time. He's either an old man, a young man. He He's a young priest and an old priest. Uh, he's going back and forth. He's talking to all sorts of people. Uh, what else happens there? Um yeah, he's using it to do that kind of stuff. I can't remember what happens next. But you get I actually kind of like this because you do get a lot of like George Malay stuff where it's a uh, giant like mechanical men, like especially at the end of this, uh, you get really cool imagery like that German uh, like gothic kind of stuff. Uh, he's Professor X for a while. And then you do get <laughs> a lot of cool like um, 
you just get a lot of cool like filmmaking things where it's like the film overlay stuff where it's like his head kind of floating in space like flying at people i actually thought that was really cool i was like i like this i like this old dude with huge eyebrows floating around and coming after people so uh, as i started said at the start maybe surprising that i would actually kind of like a four and a half hour silent film but uh I actually thought, is it worth watching four and a half hours? Probably not, unless you're like really into this shit. But uh, for me, at least, I got enough out of it that I was like, I didn't feel like it was a, a big waste of time or anything. What about you, Ryan? What's your uh, what's your take on Mabuse, the gambler? Um, well, first of all, uh, I'll say this initially that... Um, well, if it comes to anything before, uh, you know, like that golden age of Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, I really try to, I mean, even, even later on, even if you want to go into the fifties and stuff, my main goal with this kind of stuff is to try and watch it from the perspective of someone who would see that when it comes out. Sure. That's, that's, that's really what I'm trying to do with these and, uh, looking at it from that perspective, um, you know, you're looking at a German, uh, a, a German kind of a uh, fictional narrative era where everyone was trying to adapt like Gothic, like Nosferatu and mm-hmm. Frankenstein. I think Frankenstein was a little later, but you know, you've got vampires and all kinds of the, those the creatures like Mary Shelley, blah blah blah. But mm-hmm. um, what's interesting, I think, about this first and foremost before I get into anything else is that Mabusa is. Uh, for not being like a creature, for not being a monster, yeah. I do give a lot of credit to Fritz Lang for making a character who is pretty, uh, I wouldn't use the word iconic, but very recognizable in a, uh, in like a, uh, in a, in a protagonist sense where you, uh, you know, he didn't become the, I mean, obviously he kept, they kept remaking it, but it didn't become mm-hmm. like this uh, superhero or like King Kong or anything super iconic like that. But for what it's worth, I think Mabusa is a cool, uh, recognizable character, especially mm-hmm. for how old this is. Um, yeah. So looking at it from that perspective, I do I do respect it to an extent. And I think uh, if I saw this when it came out, I would have been pretty pretty into it. I think aside from the gambling, it's a lot of just straightforward silent era narrative. But mm-hmm. I think if you can make it all the way to that like last half an hour, that very last act, I think you would. Even even in today's time, if you were to see that last act, I think that would make up for it in some way. From the car chase to the shootout to mm-hmm. especially those mechanisms at the end, I think the yeah. uh, some of those concluding shots are some are some of the best from the silent era. Mm-hmm. Uh, those last couple. There's there's one shot where where Mabusa is like in front of a table and he's like he's you know he's like losing it and stuff and there's like that almost like sundial looking thing and then there's a mm-hmm. robot and then there's all this like I think as far as that's concerned that's about as good as it gets visually for the silent era and you got to understand too like this is a long time ago like, you know you had mentioned Dr Caligari you give a lot mm-hmm. of credit to that movie for being so visually iconic but for the most part. A lot of these movies that come out before, you know, people think Chaplin, Keaton, Lloyd, et cetera, et cetera, and those are all very iconic, but man, you don't have a lot 
prior to the mid twenties where you're looking at any sort of iconic stuff. So I gotta, I gotta give Lane credit for this to be kind of more of his, you know, he's got like the spiders and a couple other movies before this, but uh, for the most part, I think he kicked the door in pretty well with it. I mean, if you want to ask me personally, I would never watch, I would never watch this again. I don't think think a lot of people under the age of 60, they'd be trying to, I think they'd be just trying to make themselves think they're, they're more sophisticated if they actually are, are really digging this, if I can be fair. But um, no, I respect it from a, it it really uh, capitalizes on that expressionist. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Let's see what other, um, Oh, I have one note here. Uh, regardless of story, I think we can all agree that Fritz Lang was the first person to uh, put a, a cactus in an interior setting. That's for sure. He he was doing things other people only dream about, man. Yeah. That's what uh, that's Great. what I've noticed in all of these things. Like he's got cactuses someplace, some places in testamented Doctor Moose. People are blowing smoke on plants. It's like. He's doing oh, yeah. crazy shit, dude, all the time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then I would, I would also say, too, there was, if there's any uh, if there's any specific line of dialogue that I think might hold some weight on this whole thing, I think at one point, I actually don't even remember, I think Mabuse said this, but somebody said, uh, someone asked him about expressionism, mm-hmm. and then he said express expressionism is just playing about everything's just playing about these days so i think that kind of that kind of touches on a lot of their that those directors approaches to trying to be visually visionary and stuff like that yeah i mean a lot of it was i mean because they they're shooting black and white so they have they have to create these like visuals that play to the screen that's why like mm-hmm. you have like that like stark makeup because it's yeah. all because it's like oh people are like pale ghouls and vamps it's like no it's because uh, it's like this theatrical oh. tradition and like you have to like make sure so that people's faces show up and then like when you start seeing those movies that like there are people who are still trying to do that makeup like five years after like we've had these advances and technology starts looking really weird because <laughs> people shouldn't look like that um yeah like you like me that's people why i shouldn't look like that that's, that's why i'm that's why i'm in podcast form only no well, no video you invite our appearances slide on uh, one episode, so in, in a, one in, in one well one off. Um, yeah, so yeah, like yeah, the, uh, to go to Ryan's thing, talking about like kind of like the Mabuse uh, is like a a villain, I guess, because like yeah, like there's obviously the characters that this is a rift on too, like kind of like from around that same like ten year window in like uh, literature, like there's like Fu Manchu uh, mm. and I and it's particularly uh, Phantomos. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the French uh, master criminal, and there's yeah. also um, what was it uh, Sven Gali, which is like he was the yeah. he was the the master hypnotist. Yeah. Uh, it's like yeah, this idea is like it's like it's like this nebula of uh, villains of these arch villains and like super criminals, and they always have like a detective that that they're toying with, and they're always mm-hmm. getting the upper hand on. And like I guess like uh, in some ways you think that Mabuse would maybe in like a short time, like lend itself more to like uh, the serial where you'd have mm-hmm. like this, like super villain, like a Moriarty even too, like predating these guys as well. Um, who like t- is always like being chased or a pink Panther RJ. 
Sure. So Phantom Moose, when I when you said that, Phantom like Moose, Phantom Moose, Phantom Moose, uh, I thought you said Phantom Ass. Uh, and I was just like, is that the sequel to that famed movie you were working on years ago, uh, Rape Ghost? No. That's a deep cut no, no. for people. That's, but that, that's, uh, a pre- that's a prequel. That's a prequel. Oh, Phantom Ass is the prequel? Yeah. Damn, dude. Yeah, super villain stuff. We'll talk about that in Testament. But, uh, I mean, he is the Joker, you know, and we'll we'll get there too, right? Sure. <laughs> we'll get there. Well, we'll we can get, get right we, we get there right now. So this this really sure. great movie that nobody wants to watch more than once. So. <laughs> <That's>... uh, <laughs> Mabusa Gambler? No, so here's the thing. I never said... I never wanted wait, to say wait, that. Wait, wait, wait. Is that true? Is that what... Well, no, but I wouldn't like, watch it again either. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, just, it's it's just too much of an investment. I like I said, I would never watch it again. I'd never tell anyone else to watch it. There are things that I like about it. So it's like if you were gonna do a Mabuse run, Mabuse. Yeah, which we've done now. Which we've done now. Yeah, it's like I actually do think it's the right way to go because uh as Ryan even pointed out, I, I was actually kind of surprised by the ending. I was like I was like, God damn, they're having a shootout. I was like, I wasn't expecting that in this nineteen twenty <laughs> silent film. That's and cool. For, for what the times were, it's a pretty pretty a uh, legit one, I would say. Yeah, yeah. So I was I wasn't expecting that ending at all. And then even like the uh, blind like uh, factory sweatshop workers and like them getting put in asylums. I was like, God damn. So yeah, I don't think it's like this great movie or anything. But I actually did get a lot of enjoyment out of it. Yes, I did fall asleep a couple times. I nodded <laughs> off, but uh, uh, I'd, I'd say on the whole, there there there's some stuff to enjoy there. So I don't think it's like yeah. a complete piece of shit or nothing like that the the thing that really jumps out at me in this uh thinking about it right now is like the the top hats (laughs) because there's like the scenes like during like the stock market like where you just like these oceans of hats and you're like you just you just don't see that anymore yeah do you ever wear hats Jarrett? uh only my balog auction hat what that sounds like a good hat i think oliver uh beg your pardon well you'll see one day I won't. You won't. I, I How do does not, your head look I, I, in hats? I, I, I don't know what you actually said. Oh. How does your head look in hats? Uh, strange. Can we get a picture of that for the Instagram, or at least for Ryan, uh, friend of the sh- new friend of the show, Ryan Norris, to send him a picture <laughs> of your head in hats, just so he knows? Yeah, from the back. Sure. Because he, he definitely knows what I look like. He does now. I guess. So why don't you tell me about the testament of Dr. Mabuse? Well, RJ, since you asked so nicely, uh, this I felt uh, things turned around for me and Mabuse. Okay. Um, This seemed to be a a more succinct version and with sound. And and and, and and so on top of this testament of Mabuse, we also have a somewhat of a sequel to another Fritz Lang movie that we've talked about on this very podcast uh, with M as we have the return of Loman, uh, good old, good old commissioner, sometimes detective Loman, who, who uh, appears once more uh, to uh, solve crime. This mm-hmm. one uh, having a different vibe on the whole and has a bit more of a pulpy flavor than, uh, than your M. But there's dealings with underworlds and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. an investigation of like how is this even possible? So things pick up. Um, old uh, that old evil hypnotist uh, Mubuse, mm-hmm. he's down and out. He's uh, he went into a trance and he just like handwrites over and over and over again inside an insane an insane asylum. Uh, 
Sure. And uh, but these these eventually these notes they've started to make sense and they start translating these things. And it's like wait a minute, he's laying out these great crimes and then these crimes are being executed to a T. How can this be? What what's the goings ons here? Mm-hmm. Um, so the movie opens up with this like r- like super well done like just basic storytelling um, yeah. of a of a man who's like mm-hmm. uh, who's infiltrated uh, this warehouse to gather information on this like I guess criminal network where that's like they're kind of I can't remember what the warehouse is for exactly mm-hmm. is it a wall if it's like the warehouse yeah just for hanging out dude yeah because there's like this whole thing about like counterfeiting that's yeah. happening and mm-hmm. like th- this detective he's like kind of like trying to prove himself because he's kind of an embarrassment mm-hmm. but like it's just like so well staged him hiding him being spotted them like thinking about what they're going to do but then they go no no we've got this. And then they like leave and the tension is palatable. The use of sound, uh, because it's very minimal. There's no like constant music playing, which is one of the drawbacks I find with silent films. Sometimes for me is the, the canned silent music that they use, uh, in silent films. Mm-hmm. I find just like really, if it, it, it's not necessary. Cause here we have a movie that is a, a soundy, but it's using minimal. Mu- it uses almost like very little music, and just lets mm-hmm. the silence tell the story as well. So that was like that was uh, Wait, very pleasant. <laughs> you're telling me four hours of xylophones doesn't <laughs> exponentially enhance your experience? I I think I might be suggesting that. Yes, <laughs> I find that a little suspect. Also, yeah. I uh, I mean I'm all about xylophones, you know, Jer. <laughs> and and what's that one yeah. thing? A theremin. Well, there's no. I don't think there's any theremin in here. Oh yeah, yeah. But it but would be cool though. It would be cool. Make it spooky. Be spooky. Yeah, um, you know, you know, Fritz Lang's buddies playing it on skeleton bones or whatever. Hundred percent. He was a spooky ass <laughs> dude. His name was Fritz. He knows. Yeah. His name. G had an eye patch, man. Damn, cool dude. Or I think he just, just, just. I think he just had a monocle. I don't think he. Uh, he no, was, I think he, he did have an eye patch because I watched uh, Mabuse in Mind and they showed an eye patch in guy quite did a bit. He? Okay, because it off. Okay, because I always think of like uh, Nicholas Ray is like one of the uh, the mm. eye, part of the eye patch gang. But uh, yeah, I was. Yeah, this dude wore an eye patch. Okay, it could have been cor- to correct a lazy eye or something because he had both eyes. But like you know how that you used to do that was like eye patch to correct a lazy eye. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Oh, he got he got hurt in World War One. I. I think. Oh shit. Yeah. Tom York style. Eye patch, Fritz Lang eye patch. Oh yeah, he, there he is, rocking hey. the eye patch. He's part of the club. He is. He's in there. Him, Tom York. How did uh, Fritz Lang lose his eye? The war apparently is what Ryan says. The war. Uh, let's see here. What are the? What is this? There's like one answer. I think he still had his eye. I, I think it was just fucked up. Right. What is? Right? This? No one's really telling me what's Red going boys? on with his eye. Well, the, that photo was taken in 1916. Though strange, why he's wearing an eye patch on only one of his eyes? <laughs> I believe he was fully. I believe he was fully blind in the eye with the patch on it, though he could still see a little in his other eye. Needless to say, though, he had extremely poor eyesight in his later years until his death in 76. Well, this is just like, this is off uh, good old Quora.com. And it has now just muddied the waters even more Mm -hmm. for me. Thanks, Internet. 
Alisa, um, Wikipedia says okay. um, uh, Lang returned to Vienna and volunteered for military service in the Austrian army and fought in Russia and Romania where he was wounded three times while recovering from the, his injuries and shell shock. Uh, he wrote scenarios for his films. Uh, oh, shit. Is, is this guy, so he, not only, so he is wearing an eye patch and a monocle <laughs> and sometimes glasses. Why not do it all, Jared? Oh my my goodness! Well, <laughs> so back to testament of Doctor Mabuse. So uh-huh. anyway, this guy he stealthily leaves the the warehouse, and then mm-hmm. uh, there's a couple of dudes just waiting for him at the end of the street. And what do they do? Well, they take a barrel and they send that fucker down the street, and it explodes. DK Real... style. That's yeah, right. right so. Mm-hmm. This is a, a rollicking start. Sure. So w- this guy, he gets kind of uh, shuffled away, uh, hidden away, because uh, mm-hmm. he's being hunted by these goons who uh, need to conceal their counterfeiting operations and other like underworldly operations. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was like a, you know a phone call desperately made to uh, Commissioner Lowman who he just wants to go to go catch a show. You know he he's a, had enough of this. He's not that the the valiant police officer uh, that you would expect from like this period of time. He's kind of like ah you know slow to get up. Don't answer that phone. I'm almost done. It's more of a realistic depiction, I guess, of a, an aged uh, policeman. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. soon enough, he's he's drawn into this world. Of uh, I don't know, sex. Sex. Is there is there is that the right thing to describe Mabuse in his testament, RJ? Oh, come on, come on, come on. Come on. Uh, and then we're introduced to a couple. What, what kind? Uh, a couple of love. A, uh, a young man and a young woman. Sure. And and there are scenes with them. <laughs> There's one scene though. I'm pretty damn sure. Uh, Tarantino uses in Inglorious Bastards. Uh, there, there's like it's like so similar, like the way they're even sitting in the booth and the kind of like awkward framing of it because they couldn't get up closer against the wall. And or talking about like hot cream, and I was like, is this not like the exact same bit from Inglorious Bastards? And I didn't follow up on it. I'm sure someone's wrote a like like annotations Essay. of it about like oh here's like just things that Tarantino threw in just because. And I'm like, well. I, I feel like it, it's probably there because it seems way too familiar, but maybe mm. I'm wrong. Can um, I count on a chick walking out before she even drinks like three sips of a freaking milkshake? Mm. Well, those milkshakes are thick in Germany, man. Let me tell you. I've never Fair. been, but I've heard a lot of stories. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does this like fit into your RJ, your problem of like people throwing away food unnecessarily? Well, I mean, is that not a problem of yours? You are you are you saying you're pro waste, dude? Yeah, yeah, pro waste. Well, I'm sure that uh, in the art of making film, uh, a lot of food gets wasted in scenes. I think they should just invite a bunch of like homeless people to come in and clean up all that food. Would you eat that food that was on the table in Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Uh, After, like, I mean, what, it's, it's like a hundred, hundred and twenty <laughs> degrees. I, I had a friend one time eat food off of uh, left food in the mall food court one time. Really? Wow. Yeah, we're not really friends anymore. You you call it quits there, huh? Yeah. You know. You know. Um. 
So anyway, yeah, yeah uh, sure. the, the, there's like the comings and goings of uh-huh. this whole plot. It's like it's fairly convoluted sure. uh, as far as like how it draws it all together, and they, everybody shows up at the exact same time at the end. Mm-hmm. But for me, the biggest takeaway for for me with this Mabuse that really like kind of explained this horror hashtag genre thing was when we get to the astral projection of Dr. Mabuse and you get the whole gimmick of like, how is Mabuse doing the things that he's doing? He's in a coma. It's like, well, not when you can cast your mind into another person, take them over and have them do your, your activities on your behalf. And, uh, we get some, some imagery that is just like, it's so good. And you're just like, man, that David Lynch, what a, what a plagiarist. He just he's been milking this mabuse all this all this time. No one no one talks enough about it because between those scenes of the astral projection of like that crazy makeup with the eyes and that forehead and just him sitting around in rooms floating around behind people and uh, you get to that curtained room where like people are like coming into this room uh, it is something straight out of Twin, Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can just imagine uh, evil Dale Cooper behind that curtain or uh, David Bowie in his steam machine uh, d- dictating orders. It's all there. I uh, And there's even the audio buzzing of whenever they're, they're shifting to like Mabuse mode with the astral stuff. And there's this like, like a distortion on the audio track, which that's got to be like, that is so ahead of its time. And so influential. Like I, I don't know. Maybe I need to like do a little bit more research on this. I'm not going to. But I feel like this is like Shameful. this. This changes everything. And eventually, like it's everywhere now. Like every time anything spooky happens, there's audio distortion. In this, I feel like it's pretty like uh, it's, it's so typified here. I don't know. There's probably examples of it before. But I feel like this is maybe like the biggest example of it. And I feel, feel like probably most people saw this. Like there's experimental film uh, playing with audio and whatnot. But here it's like you have the, the spooky image and you have uh, astral projections and you have this mm-hmm. electrical distortion. I mean, that's, just, that's the Black Lodge right there. I mean, that's pretty big if true. I don't know. I don't think David Lynch has ever seen a TV or show or movie ever. That's probably, that's, that's probably true. He does it all from memory. Yeah, yeah, I don't like think he's Neil, never even been awake. No, yeah. that dude's never been awake. I think it's all like Neil Young style. He just he just knows what to do. He makes movies. He doesn't watch the movies he makes, Jared. Not at all, Jared. Not at Jared. all. Yeah, there's a, I think this movie sets a lot of trends. You have uh, that, and then, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the very obvious connection that um, people make uh, to The Dark Knight's Joker because Chris Nolan himself... <laughs> Uh, credits Dr. Mabuse as one of his favorite films and something that he he kind of attributes to his Joker character about, you know, it's about the reign of crime, Jared. It's not about the money. <laughs> Which, I mean, like, I knew that going in and then I watched it and I was like, I get it. I was like, I see I see why he, like, pulled from this stuff because he's just, like, just evil dude. He's like, let's poison the reservoir. Let's do it. He's like, let's blow up this factory. It'll kill a bunch of people. He's like, who cares? But his astral projection plane is, I love when his like his brain is out and his eyeballs yeah. are like super huge. Oh, he oh, looks yeah. so cool. It's so wicked. I like it a lot. Yeah, that is like, yeah, that's like, holy shit. This is worth mm-hmm. it right here. Just yep. this, just this footage. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I think that alone is really good. I also actually really like the plot of this one where it's like 
So coming off of Mabuse the Gambler, and you see how he's this like hypnotist, and he used it for like counterfeiting, gambling, and like petty crime stuff, but like not exactly up to like he does a little extortion, but this one is just full on kind of villainous bad guy, I think. And I like I, I actually do really like the idea of him being like immortal because he can like they do body transfer stuff, but it's also it's like the cult of Mabuse. That'd be a sick movie right now that Christopher Nolan could make. Cult of Mabuse. <laughs> uh and like the idea, it's just like his Batman movies, Jared. It's like the, <laughs> a legend is more than a person itself because it can live forever. Just like Mabuse. Do you see what I mean? Who who uh is also a uh... An evil hypnotist. An evil hypnotist, just like Scarecrow, Jared. <laughs> oh boy! Uh, so I, uh, I actually Hap- really happy. Like... What is it? The fifteenth anniversary of uh, yes, Batman Begins this yes, past week. Wow. Yes, it is. I'm glad you noticed. I got. I'm glad you remembered. But I actually really like the plot of Testament of Doctor Mabuse because it it has like those themes. Uh, and there's some stuff like you said, like the uh, the couple. You're not really like you're like yeah whatever. And well, like even like, his well, henchmen, you're kind of like such well, a because he's because he's not such a bad goon, right? Well, you're introduced to him in the spot where he's the reluctant goon. He's like, yeah. I don't really want to do this. And they're like, he, well, you got to bud. He, he's a goon with a heart of gold. And then he's yeah. like, but he's got, then of course he's got this Lily now. And he's mm. like, well, maybe, maybe we should inform. And it's like, well, you're going to get informed. And you're going to get picked up and uh, you're going to get blown up in this room. Hell yeah, man. But that's why, like, and that's what I mean. Like, so I don't, the couple, I don't find their story that interesting, but What's going on with Mabuse and his plans is wicked. The police commissioner guy, Commissioner Gordon, proto Commissioner Gordon. I think he's awesome, even when he's blowing like smoke on plants. <laughs> and I, I do like the ending with the chase. And it, it kind of reminds me of the uh, the road from uh, Extro. You ever seen Extro, Ryan, the alien film? No, no. I, I, I might have seen you might have seen the gifts out. of it. The gifts are pretty yeah. sweet. The gifts. Extro, uh, like X T R O. Yeah, X T R O Extro. The the highway at the end of Testament of Mabuse is just like Extro, I think. So uh, well, I I think there's this movie influenced things we're not even thinking about. Well, hell, so, there's even like lost like uh the the image of like a car driving down a highway road and with only sure. headlights lighting things. Uh, I mean that's some that's some David Lynch right there too. Whoa. Are you checking out Extro? Oh yeah. <laughs> do, you, do you think it looks like the ending of Testament of Dr. Mabuse? Maybe. Well, I can't say much off the poster, but the poster's got me pretty hooked. Yeah, man. Extra is a cool movie. I think you should definitely check it out. Just, uh, I mean, it's not a good movie, but it's a cool movie. It's very, it's got at least two incredibly oh, yeah. memorable moments. Yeah. By Harry Bromley Davenport, Jarrett. You remember yeah. him, right? Br- Britain's own. Yeah. So, anyways, I uh, I think that's all cool. But uh, I would love to hear what uh, our new friend uh, Ryan uh, Norris thinks of uh, Testament of Doctor Mabuse. Unless you had more stuff to say, Jared. But I don't nah, really nah. care about your opinion. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> yeah. How about it, Ryan? How 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 did you like this Testament? Well, uh, well, I'm gonna. I guess for the YouTube viewers, they're not gonna maybe have heard this the first half of the segment, but I. I'm going to maybe mildly contradict myself uh, by saying that if there is, we were talking about context earlier in the video, there's going to be a couple movies where, where context really makes a difference mm-hmm. in, in its, in its uh, impact. I think this is one of them. Um, before I get 
I guess uh, just to give some extra uh, backstory on this, this is a movie that uh, this is the last movie Fritz Lang made in Germany before he split because uh, the Nazi regime <laughs> took over, and um, our, our our guys Hitler and 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 etc. Uh, I believe were pretty pretty big fans of Fritz Lang. Uh, I know they thought Metropolis was really good, and I think uh, what was the guy's name again? Gerbil, Geb- Goebbels, Goebbels. Yeah, he they address him in uh, Mabuse in Mind because they talk about how he was just like, we can't let this movie get out because people will know that uh, they can do this. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah. so um, Fritz Lang kind of a lot of his uh, a lot of the like the the indirect sentiment behind a lot of his stuff was very anti-fascist especially uh if you see testament of doctor abuse after this you'll know exactly like uh where he's coming from in terms of uh mind control and all that kind of stuff but um they actually tried to recruit him to be part of a nazi regime uh to make you know just utterly ridiculous propaganda from yeah. stuff like that and and uh i think initially he said oh yeah of course guys no problem and then he just had his fingers crossed behind him and split right off to i think france yeah. uh, and then eventually america but um with that in mind if there's yeah like i mentioned if there's gonna be a movie where context matters i think weighing that into this story adds a lot to it um mm-hmm. but aside from that a story in itself just to inspire a guy like Christian Nolan, I think this is this is probably I think in terms of film buffs, a lot of them are probably familiar with this movie. But I think this movie flies over a lot of people's heads when it comes to um, memorable movies, especially from the '30s, let alone early sound pictures. Mm-hmm. And uh, looking at it from Fritz Lang following up the most controversial of the most controversial movies ever made to go from a child murderer to a supernatural crime movie with ghosts in it that's a pretty dope flip i gotta say it's almost like um it's like it almost kind of reminds me of how stanley kubrick would just do ridiculous 180 flips between each movie going you know like Lolita to Doctor Strange Love to 2001 to Clockwork Orange to Barry Lyndon to just Shining. It's just back and back and forth. And that's pretty much what Fritz Lang, I'd say, has easily one of the most impressive like 10 year stretches of. I mean, he is one of the great directors ever, but looking at a 10 year stretch going from, I mean, The Gambler is one thing, but um, I think his most underrated movie is probably uh, The Nieblungs was a like a, a kind of more like um what would you want to call it like fantasy not really knights but a little more medieval style uh, movie he made a couple of those it has probably people will be uh, really uh, familiar with it with the famous uh, fight against the dragon um but he went you know he went from that to freaking uh, metropolis and then i think you know he made a couple in between like spies and uh woman on the moon you know those are like those aren't, you know, those are cool for what they're worth, but to go from Metropolis to M to this movie is just pretty damn ballsy and impressive. And just bouncing off of that, I'd say that this movie is 
if there's going to be movies that, like, you know how I mentioned uh, The Gambler, I would never watch again after seeing it. I think a lot of people uh, after seeing this would, if there's going to be a few movies that anyone would ever want to revisit from the 30s, it would be something like this. Because uh, I, think, I think beyond, like, substance in movies, uh, just what makes a movie really quality is just making, uh, like, memorable shots and sequences. Almost kind of like... Uh, you know, like an abuse to fucking gambler, uh, like a deck of cards, right? I almost feel like shots in a movie are like a deck of cards. And when you have like a good deck of cards, or mm. I mean, when you have like a good uh, good hand of cards, you know, if you have like a flush, that's almost like a good sequence. And I think this movie just has a handful of really good sequences uh, beyond just people talking and giving exposition standing around a desk. I mean, obviously there is that, and there's stuff like that to this day, but... But uh, there's a lot of really memorable stuff. Uh, you had mentioned the the opening scene with the oscillating machinery. That's very memorable. The camera movement in that's memorable. And I would say um, even I think what falls like a piano or a crate almost falls on one of the guys at the beginning. That's a really good hook into the story. That's some really good visual. And then you got the um, another really memorable scene with with the like impeccable use of sound or more like lack of sound is uh, the um, the shooting in the, the traffic stop. Right. That's, yeah. a, that's a really incredible scene because you've got a traffic stop where a bunch of people are honking their horns and then you've got a guy that uh, takes out somebody uh, with a pistol and um, you hear everything but the gunshot sound and then that visual of all the cars driving off and the one dead guy just sitting there in the middle of the street, that is a very, very well, uh, well done shot. Were you aware of that? Like, I guess like Lang, uh, per- prefer to use like actual guns, <laughs> like during like these scenes. Uh, no, really. no. Yeah. Apparently. Yeah. No, this is apparently thing. So yeah, Lang often used real weapons in the opening scene during a power outage. A stunt actor did the gunplay. Cinematographer Fritz Arno Wagner stated that he spent most of the production in a state of panic due to the way Lang would endanger his crew. Uh, the film is generally filmed in a realistic style with the exception of Mabuse's uh, ghostly appearances throughout the film. Lang admitted later in the interviews that if he could redo the film, he would not have included these supernatural scenes. See, Fritz, yeah. come on, bud. He had a good, he had a good, see, these, these are, these are the, the, maybe these are the flaws. These are the, the cracks in the Fritz Lang, uh, facade of being one of the great directors. He's questioning the, the ghostly Mabuse. He's, he's using real guns, endangering the crew. I mean, this, what's, what's, what's what's happening here with this man? When, when do you think the Fritz is canceled party, uh, is going to (laughs) happen? After, after this goes live. Oh, okay. Fair enough. But yeah, sorry, uh, sorry, Ryan. You were saying so. Yeah, you're talking uh, about that's that particular scene and the, the that sound scene, editing. That scene is really good, mm-hmm. um, especially being early talkie movie. The use of sound is again. I mean, you guys mentioned M. Uh, he just went right back to work with Testament uh, as far as his uh, sound innovation, and then just um, what else was I got? A one more note here. Uh, oh yeah, the ensemble. This is a very unconventional ensemble in terms of narratives. And uh, I mean, Doctor Mabuse is in the title, but uh, he isn't in much of it. And you got a very uh, you got a, a lot of parallel storylines. Well, not necessarily storylines. It's all the kind of similar storyline, but you got a lot of characters jumping around doing different things. 
And uh, I think that holds a lot of merit because I don't think, you know, they're they're definitely not like fully three-dimensional fleshed out characters, but for what it's worth in the 30s, they have a lot of energy. And I think they keep yeah. the, the, the pacing of the story going really. And this is a really fast-paced story, I would say, in, mm. in comparison to other movies from this era also. Um, well, so I can say, um, I know I have one more here. Uh, bah, bah, bah. Yeah, you mentioned the car. I mean, that's a pretty damn good car chase for what it's worth. Yeah. And then I also, um, I watched one guy, I know you guys probably aren't going to, uh, and I don't necessarily agree with it that much either, but I watched one guy. He actually made a uh, comparison to Citizen Kane with this movie okay. because it's hmm. a bunch of people trying to uh, trace together recollections of somebody else, like this notorious entity. Okay. So I guess not stylistically, it's not that different, but I could almost see, uh, considering it's like within 10 years of Citizen Kane coming out, I wouldn't doubt Orson Welles maybe saw this and subconsciously had some sort of influence on him uh, piecing together that narrative. Yeah, maybe. I, I've never uh, never read about that. That's pretty cool. Wasn't yeah, that's speculation, that. I guess. Yeah. When uh, talking about Goebbels again, too, the other thing that uh, another link back to Inglorious Bastards is uh, oh. Go- Goebbels is a character in Inglorious Bastards. Cause it... Is that Mike <laughs> Myers? Yeah, with Shoshana. It's like, yeah, they actually meet. Mm. But I'm like, oh, I think there's something a little bit there. It's like, I think Quentin Tarantino watches movies sometimes. I, I think. I don't think he's ever seen a movie either, dude. Okay. That's he's true. Been, he's he only he's re- making he, shit up. He reads about them. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, so do we all like this testament? So yeah, I like it. I think it's good. Good, yeah, for sure. Is it because oh. is, is it because it's like uh, Christopher Nolan movies, RJ? Uh, exclusively because it's about Chris. Oh, it's it's about Christopher. This is a prequel about Christopher Nolan. So uh, that's pretty cool, right, Bud? Yeah, right, Bud. What about you, uh, Ryan? Sorry, what was that? Like in regards to Nolan? Or no, no I just like no, just uh, do in you, general. Yeah. Do you like yeah. the? Do you you like this movie? So like, how, how do you oh. feel in comparison oh, yeah. to uh, uh, Gambler? So you'd watch it again, which that's I think a positive thing. Um. <laughs> well, I mean, you have uh, ten years in film in that era of film did made a big difference as far as storytelling was concerned. I think that has a lot to do with it. But like I said, if you go back to um, if I could compare uh, The Gambler to another movie from that era, like obviously, um, I think what you guys have talked about Haxon already, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when it comes to stuff like Haxon or, uh, you know, The Kid or Caligari or those, those early 20s movies, I mean, obviously those all have a lot more uh, memorable things to offer than Mabuse, The Gambler, but um, this one, I think, just has, I'd say about every 50, every fifteen minutes or so, you're you're given a pretty memorable scene, uh, as far as early talkie films are concerned, which is way more that you can ask for in comparison to a lot of other stuff in that era. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think I, know, I think I know what you're saying, man. Like, uh, there's a lot of striking things. Whereas, like Mabuse the Gambler, I actually thought it had a lot of striking scenes, but there's also 
two and a quarter two hours and a quarter that is just like the actual cards of the text and it it's like yeah i i, th- I know this movie is 98 years old so it's like I, I can give it a little slack on that but at the same time my enjoyment in 2020 in the current age covid yeah i don't know what i get out of it but uh yeah, yeah like testament of dr mabusa i i actually liked quite a bit what about you jared did you ever say yeah, no, like yeah. this. Um, I mean, I think that there is. It's this from a story point of view. It's kind of a, I don't know. A, it's a movie. It's uh There isn't like well, a lot of a, like. A it's a movie. It's it's a movie. Like there's like a you know it's very like formulaic for I think even for the time. It's like but there obviously there's these visual cues that are like amazing and there's like there's definitely a Fritz Lang's. Um, technical uh experiments like there's, he's a he's reapplying a lot of like the same sort of shots and like the, that he figured out with the police procedural of m and he's doing them again in testament like there's the shots of the city he keeps going back to those maps of the city uh the kind of like close-ups on evidence like all those things i kind of remember kind of like those like boring details that like nobody loves and obsesses about uh with m unless you start like you're on a weird screen capper like me uh, there's a lot of those. They kind of repeat themselves, but it's because he's like using, he's relearning and reusing yeah. that language. And then I guess with like supernatural Mabuse, I mean, he's kind of like drawing on this like silent film, phantasmagorical sort of images. And but it looks like it's so striking because you're not expecting it because it's grounded in this otherwise realistic setting. And I think like Fritz Lang thinks that he'd take that out, and he, like he's a he's an idiot. <laughs> like that's just crazy. It's like how mm-hmm. could you? How would you? Why would you throw? that away but i guess like it's just tonally he has a, a weird problem with it i guess but so it goes um yeah, just to go on with what you're saying um there's some really dope uh forensic moments in this too uh the one that stands out to me a lot was the uh writing in the glass oh yes yeah yeah with the flip, like, when it, with the flip around in the mirror and the uh yeah that that was uh yeah pretty- i mean to this day that would be that would be in an episode of uh, whatever on order you can see that incorporated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The I guess that's like kind of like the thing too is like the procedural of uh, like it's just become so ingrained and like this is like one of those like early examples of like finding like how do you build up suspense and you have these unsolved these quote unsolvable mysteries or puzzles that then they get revealed and it's like well there's a whole like I mean mystery writers uh, you know screenwriters they like think about these ideas of like how do you draw an audience along and like build up to that reveal and actually give people content uh, this would be an example of that like hey how do you like create these ideas and I mean silent film serials like uh like phantom stuff it's all about that it's like all these big builds and eventually it's like oh you find out there's like secret corridors behind that wall um mm. and you get the same thing with the the mystery room with the curtain in this where like the goons all line up which are all scenes i actually really enjoyed i actually i one thing we haven't talked about too much uh, uh for the performances in this i love the goons because they're very like mm. they're kind of going along with this like and you're like well this this is kind of a weird situation to find ourselves in but we're going to like talk to the curtain and there's a man on the other side and then eventually when the um the couple gets dropped off there they uh they go aha and they find out it's like a cutout and like the like uh it's all pre-recorded dialogue which is like Mm. fascinating and then they're like oh shit we're and then you hear the ticking of this bomb and they're trying to find a way out that stuff is like very like it's a throwback uh to like those like 15 1915s uh serials uh mm-hmm. that were happening uh or in the 15s and 20s and stuff like that or yeah 1910s 1920s 
and he's just playing out those things. And I don't know, they're they're enjoyable tropes, but yeah, sure they are sure they are. <laughs> but what what happens in what twenty seven years later when uh, Fritz Lang revisits Mabuse? His, his Mabuse, this Mabuse dude. I would I would oh, use boy. the I would use the visits kind of lightly. Visits. Yeah, like I. I don't know about you boys, but uh, I thought uh, this thing was the most Mabuse list of the Mabuses. Yeah, well, I mean, there's certainly that psychic. Yeah, I mean, there's that guy, and it's like I, I know I was just saying that in Testament. I like the idea that he lives forever, but it's like, um, yeah, I mean, Mabuse is not around anymore. Jared. Well, what about a thousand? What about a thousand eyes? I don't know. I I think I counted two or four. Okay. And an eye patch. And an eye patch. Why don't you tell me about the thousand eyes of Mabuse? I don't know, man. I I this slid right off my eyes. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you about thousand eyes of Mabuse. Okay, tell me about the thousand eyes of Doctor right. Mabuse because I I thought this was. Uh, I mean, so just to be clear to people, I'm I'm not uh, ignorant of Fritz Lang. I've actually seen the vast majority of Fritz Lang's American movies after he left uh, Germany. I've I've watched like dozens of Fritz Lang movies, but uh, this is a bit of a jump up from his last few movies. And this is like him going back to Europe, this West German slash French slash Italian international production uh, where this man is uh, kind of in his, his twilight in production. I think he makes like, one or two more movies after this, and then uh, he calls it quits. Sure, and it feels like it. Sure, but RJ, That's tell maybe. tell tell us about the thousand eyes of Doctor Mabuse. Thousand eyes, Doctor Mabuse, Jared. You got this American guy. He's this tycoon, real estate oil, or he is just a individually, personally wealthy man. He is in a hotel room. The hotel manager is like, "Yo, dude." want to creep on this babe i got this two-way mirror into her room and he says this is disgusting i will take this room immediately and then you go oh weird uh girlfriend tries to kill herself he goes and this happens before actually she goes to kill herself and he's just like listen baby uh or the cops try to talk her down and they're like listen honey this is gonna be a huge scandal you don't want that right don't kill yourself it's gonna It's going to make everyone's day bad. Don't do it. He comes out and he's like, listen, baby, if you kill yourself or if you jump, you might not die right away. You could be like struggling for hours. That would suck. (laughs) So he grabs her. He pulls her in. They're just like, ooh, man, we love each other. You get some henchmen on the side. You get this insurance salesman who is seemingly (laughs) everywhere. And then you get a police officer who is above the law. He forces himself into a lot of situations. And I got a couple screen caps where the lady goes, this is my personal life. And he said, honey, when the police are involved, you got no personal life. Oh, and you go, man. whoa. Uh, topical. <laughs> Hashtag Black Lives Matter, baby. Very topical. So you got this. In 1960, man. no less. 1960. He's there. He, uh, it's this big police guy. He, um, he like, I guess he's kind of supposed to be like the detective in the last one but he's not but like trying to fill that looks pretty damn pretty close if you squint close but he doesn't smoke his cigars with a uh, a tip and i think that's the big giveaway 
so he's trying to figure things out. And then eventually it does come back to this thing again. It's like, you know, 30 some years ago, there was this Mabuse guy. Maybe it's him. You know what I mean, guys? Uh, and then like Mabuse isn't in this very, very much. It's mostly just this like tycoon guy and this lady. And then you get another, you get a couple doctors, a couple detectives. They're all trying to like figure stuff out. And then there's a secret hideout. There are secret plans for the reign of crime and terror. And they want to unleash terror on people again. And uh, <laughs> so it's I mean, like Bane. It is like Bane. These movies are, these are all, this is just the Dark Knight trilogy. Uh, so this one, I thought Thousand Eyes was okay, but uh, it's got, it's got the least bit of Mabuse. And then it also like, I was kind of like, I don't even think this needs to be a Mabuse movie. movie. It's just a thing. So I don't know. I thought it was fine. Like as a movie itself, I thought it was fine. But in terms of these Mabuse ones, I like, I just, I just briefly went to their page now to pull up the who hates. And I see people are saying it's like, this is the best Mabuse. And I'm like, what the, the fuck? I'm like, what are they talking about? So uh, I think Whoa. my rating Clearly. is Testament and then Gambler and then 1000 Eyes. But uh, that's just me personally. I don't know if Ryan has a different rub on these things or maybe I got the plot wrong. Or if Ryan wants to jump in and just kind of give his uh, two cents on 1000 Eyes. This is a transcendent cinematic experience that goes beyond. Uh, no, yeah, I'm right there with you, bro. Um, yeah, that's good to hear. I mean, if but, you uh, liked it, that'd be fine, too. I, w- I wouldn't hold it against you, man. Over here, I'll, uh, here, I'll oh, how very kind way. of you, RJ. You guys, do you guys, do you guys watch sports at all? I do. Jared doesn't. Jared doesn't know what a sport <laughs> is, but I, I watch them. <laughs> all right. Well, you know, you know how you got your uh, kind of Hall of Fame like players. Sure. And uh, they might, they might be very dedicated to a team for a long time, and sure. then they have, like you mentioned, they got their twilight years, right? Mm-hmm. Like. Uh, First thing comes to mind, maybe it'd be like uh, like Shaquille O'Neal, right? You know, he does great in the Lakers. Mm-hmm. Three times goes, to camp, the heat. goes to the Heat, kicks some more ass on the Heat, mm-hmm. and but then it was a bit of a it was a bit of a ring chase a while for a good old Shaq, mm-hmm. and uh, you know you got Phoenix. So well, I think he might have yeah decent year in Phoenix, but you got like Boston and Cleveland, right? right. Where it's really just kind of a uh, it's a bit of a uh, a salute. It's a bit of a uh, it's a bit of an exit exit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, I think this is that's what this movie is. This is just Shaq on the Celtics. Not necessarily. <laughs> I don't think Fritz Lang's trying to chase a ring mm-hmm. or anything. He's not going for Oscars, but just feels like a bit of a his knees his knees aren't 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 taking aren't taking the hits as well. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Step I, uh, extra weight on them, less muscle. <laughs> I uh, I I think your analogy is perfect, and I think when you do make your letterbox account, your review of Thousand Eyes can just be this is like Shaq on the Celtics. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I think people around the world will understand what you're saying. So uh, yeah, with that, or to put it another way for Jarrett, because he's watching The Last Dance with Michael Jordan. This is almost like when Michael Jordan went to play baseball after basketball see, I, see i've seen that espn 30 for 30 episode they did a whole thing about him going to play baseball in the play minors baseball? yeah yeah it's kind of like that i that's that's another way to put it i like uh Except, i like the shack analogy 
Except Fritz Lang didn't come back and do a three-peat and blah, blah, blah. But, but yeah, I definitely agree with that. Totally. Uh, I was also going to say um, it, it, doesn't have a, it doesn't have a quotable quite like uh, takes eat some cocaine, you limp dick. But it does, you're talking about that whole uh, the woman that's about to jump off of the building. Oh, yeah. Um, there's, a, there's one line where the guy keeps her from jumping off. And she goes back inside, and there's that old guy uh, back on the ground, mm-hmm. and he says, "He says, um, thank God I uh, I would not have enjoyed my dinner if that happened." Well, that was good. <laughs> yeah, that the was... fat guy on the ground level, he kind of pats his tummy, and he goes, "Oh, thank God." He's like, "I just I wouldn't have in, enjoyed dinner yeah, if this." Uh, that was this... good. Yeah, and it's like the hotel staff tells her, "It's like, listen, honey, it's like you don't want to kill yourself. It just be, it would just be a major inconvenience for everyone." All of us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Man. But is it not untrue? <laughs> Woo! Creeps is canceled. Podcast. <laughs> I think also what sums it up really well too is that intro scene where you know I mentioned the really good scene and testament with the with the shootout in the car well not a shootout but the the assassination this movie starts out with uh, a substantially worse rendition of that scene like 30 years later i think that also pretty much sums it up a little bit too i wouldn't say substantially worse but if you had saw testament in freaking 1930 and then you saw this 30 years later You've been like, wow! They couldn't even, they couldn't even top a scene they had, they did thirty years ago. Yeah, it's and it's too bad, but he was old, right? Hey, yeah, I'm sure the movie made some money. Hopefully, well, I mean, it goes and kicks off like a whole uh, a whole franchise of Mabuse movies in the '60s. Right, I mean, right. We, and, 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 yeah, we get uh, the return of Doctor Mabuse in '61. The Invisible Dr. Mabuse in 1962. The Terror of Dr. Mabuse in 1962. Dr. Mabuse vs. Scotland Yard in 1963. Ooh. The Death Ray of Dr. Mabuse in 1964. And I guess they, they take a little bit of a break because the next Dr. Mabuse we get is directed, RJ, by none other than Jess Franco, The Vengeance of Dr. Mabuse in 1972. Did you watch <laughs> that this week? I did not because uh, it's not really a, it's not a, it's not available. But uh, then we get a we got a real uh, humdinger though. We get a topper of Doctor M from 1990, mm. directed by Claude Strabol, the uh, mm. a much beloved uh, man of cinema, directing movies such as Le Ceremonie, uh, Le Boucher, mm. st- uh, Story of Women. Real classy guy, but he directed this mm. like love letter called Doctor M. Uh, in, in the not too distant future, Berlin is shocked by a series of spectacular suicides. A policeman's wow. investigations lead him to a beautiful, enigmatic woman and the revelation of a sinister plot to manipulate the population through mass hypnosis. Hmm. Wow. Hey, you forgot one, though. Uh, one? The 2022 Cult of Mabuse by Christopher Nolan. Oh, shit. Well, when, mm. it, when, when it gets made, RJ, it'll be on that list. Hey, you give me five minutes with Chris Nolan, and I, I bet I could get a lot of movies made. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Mm-hmm. Well, um, so we I think we can all agree it's uh, some diminishing returns here at the end sure. of uh, Lang's career. That's okay. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you guys want to hear about who hates the testament of Dr. Mabuse? Hell Mabuse? Yeah. Hit it. All right. First up, we've got Jeff Naveen with one star who just writes, rather uninteresting, a precursor to noir, nice Donkey Kong barrel throwing scene, and wow. a psychologist scene with the stadium seating that I have seen before. I like. I mean- I liked Mixner. <laughs> I think I, uh, that Donkey Kong toss was worth at least two stars. Yeah, exactly. Agreed. agreed. And that's what I'm saying. I even mentioned the DK toss when I was talking about it. I didn't know about this dude. Yeah. Uh, this dude has some questionable taste. They Don't they always? They always do, Jarrett. They always do. They gave Godzilla half a star. Which one? They gave the Godzilla what? Half a star. Oh, God damn it. Uh, they gave Desitoroya half a star, Jarrett. Desitoroya. <laughs> uh, Strange Brew half a star. Muholland Drive half a star, Jarrett. Mm-hmm. Dumb and Dumber and Billy Madison half a star. And then their only five star films are like Field of Dreams, Avatar, True Lies, and Terminator <laughs> 2. What, 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 are the, what are these people doing watching Testament of Dr. Mabuse? I don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. I. I, I don't know. All right. Uh, okay. Gr- Graham Austin, two and a half stars. There are some slightly okay. lower ones, but they're too long. Sure. Lang demonstrates his mastery of visual storytelling and the atmosphere of anxiety right from the offset of this film with a masterful opening sequence that plays with sound design and in a unique way that, despite the lack of dialogue, shows that he understands what makes sound films work. Unfortunately, he seems to have forgotten all that technique for most of the rest of the movie, which may as well be a radio play for how much exposition is dumped between characters standing around in rooms. This is true. Uh, There are still moments of brilliant visuals throughout and a creeping sense of unease that capitalizes on the ideological themes. It's just a shame they couldn't be explored more through action, but they are far uh, too few in a story that seems to be told in the wrong medium. It's a strange backslide after M so thoroughly capitalized on Lang's transition to sound film as it takes this movie until late in the third act to remember it's a movie again I never forget that it's a movie when you watch it because I remember true (coughs) Um, sounds like he likes to read slant a little bit I uh, maybe I'm not totally familiar but I'm going to take your word for it uh, I mean, the person doesn't have horrible film taste, Jarrett. Uh, I don't Favorite. even think this is a, a particularly awful review or anything like that. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, I could see that. There is definitely mm-hmm. a lot of exposition. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not the worst stuff. Favorite films are like Notorious, High and Low, Sweet Smell of Success, Blowout. Just like real real criterion type stuff. Yeah. Those, are all, those are all better movies. Yeah, they are. I just went to their all-time stats to see uh, what I could f- figure out here. Uh, their most watched director, Sam Jackson, most, or not Sam Jackson, most watched actor, most watched director is his Hitchcock. Well, there's nothing interesting here. Mm-hmm. Never sounds mind. Like he'd rather, sounds like he'd rather watch a bunch of mimes play tennis than uh, some ghosts uh, doing their thing. I mean, that's probably what, what he's doing, except they did give, no, nah, never mind. <laughs> never mind, Jared. I'm going to leave you on that. You'll All right, then. All right, then. And finally, know. Jackson Beeb, BB, two and a half stars. 
Just didn't understand it. Jesus, forgive me. <laughs> they uh, they just gave Eraserhead three and a half stars. Hmm. But they also gave Fight Club five stars, Jarrett. Yeah, they did. I mean, and some of the other movies, like other five-star films are like Lighthouse, Boogie Nights, and Her. So it's like, those are good movies. They are. Those are good movies. And you don't have to love Eraserhead, but like... You should. Uh, half-star films are like Neil Breen and Transformer movies, so. Oh, don't leave Neil Breen alone. Uh, One-star films are Man Bites Dog and Battlefield Earth, and then the new Predator film. Here, let me find out which Neil Breen this is, since you're such a big fan. Uh, I am here now. He gave, I don't, uh, oh, see, I haven't seen that one. That's, I think, one of his new ones. Alien Bean. Whoa. <laughs> add this to my alien list. There you go. Nice. nice. Can I ask a question about Letterbox? Yeah, sure, sure. What, what what's the what's this whole reviewing thing? If this is this like the 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 catalog of reviews that <laughs> that, that that you toss out has yeah. me so confused. What what their prerogative is? Is this just? Like, are they are they just uh, picking movies out of a hat to review? What, what, what's the goal yeah, here? It's, it's basically just like it's like it's like if I watch a movie, whatever I watch, I just log it, and then if I choose, I can write a review for it. Uh, some people do do that, and I guess one of the reasons we do this segment is uh, kind of for the pain and suffering of reading sometimes people's very badly written reviews or like very like. Like overly hostile reviews, mm-hmm. like over just to yeah. so it's just like how aggressive they are. Like because when you go like say a movie's like a half star movie, it's like okay, you're saying this is amongst one of the worst films ever created in my mind, or like mm. it's so objectionable on some level. You better have like a pretty good justification for why it's bad, and mm. uh, that's what that's what we do it for because it's like the idea that like oh, who, who who hates Criterion movies? So yeah, like you know we have no idea who any of these people are. Uh, yeah. you, like but once they log it, they're public. You can just click through uh make a selection of uh selecting it by like lowest reviews and people who've actually yeah. reviewed a movie and that's it and so you can see that you can do it on the flip side and see who have the highest rated movies but what's the fun in that i don't mm-hmm. i don't want to hear people being enthusiastic about like seven samurai i want to know who really hates seven samurai sure see you see that's exactly what i'm talking about like what like i definitely uh, from your guys' perspective, looking at it as entertainment, I can definitely see why these things exist. But if, like, you know, uh, the, the sh- whatever Schmohawk is gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna <laughs> go, from, he's gonna do Mulholland Drive, then he's gonna do Terminator, then he's gonna do Transformers, and then he's gonna do uh, Ozu movie. Where, where's the like? What's the, what's on his watch list? Like, where are these things bouncing around for? That's what blows my mind. Like. Like, it would make sense if they have 700 reviews and it's everything mm-hmm. from top to bottom, but it's just the most random hand-picked thing. That, like, part, of that's our, part of that's actually RJ. <laughs> <laughs> that's, oh. yeah. So, so what I, when Jarrett picks out, and this is for the Mabuse fans out there, this is behind the scenes how the sausage is made. Jarrett, like, <laughs> he doesn't show me before, and I know what we do. So I'll just pull up the movie and I'll sort it by lowest reviews. Uh, and then when he reads off the name, then I click on it, and then I go to their five star films, and then their half star films, and I just pick things out that stand out to me personally. So yeah. it's oh, very okay, biased. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's not how, like this. However, it's not, yeah. <laughs> 
However, though, Jarrett, we have found some like very strange occurrences where there's been like accounts where it's an account will have been created two years ago. They watched 50 films. Most of them were like normal films. And then it was like one Criterion movie or like a movie like Swamp Woman from Roger Corman. And that's the one we pick out. And it's like it's like a Criterion movie mixed with like a bunch of these like new mainstream movies. And you're like, none of this fits together. So it does happen. It's just I, yeah. I pick it randomly. Okay. okay. Yeah. This is more of a snapshot of the architecture of RJ's yeah. mind. That's why it's so <laughs> random. It doesn't make any sense. By random, I think people have kind of associated me with the Mabuse brain uh, that you see in Testament of my doctor. Yeah, my doctor Mabuse. I was going to say the Safety brothers are going to find you someday and get to work. I mean, if they, if someone would just kind of, if they want. If a friend of the show, a listener, wants to push our stuff towards them and they say, you got to study this guy because he is different. Uh, I, I I can't suggest that because uh, that'd be using my influence in uh, a way that is unsavory. But uh, if someone else out there wants to do it, uh, go ahead. Right, Jer? Hey, well, viewers at home, you heard the man. There you go. There you there go. You go. Mm-hmm. Um, so any final thoughts on Testament of Dr. Mabuse and the works of Fritz Lang? Uh, not for me, but, uh, Ryan, do you have any other thoughts or ideas or anything you'd like to say about, uh, Testament or any of the Mabuse? Um, just going to reiterate one more time. If you got a limp, limp dick, you got to eat some Coke. Apparently Specifically that's... eat some Coke. Yeah, it's the cure all, I guess. Uh, guy downtown told me that uh, he swears by it. So, uh, who's to say he's wrong, right, Jer? Do, do, do you guys have any jib? Any what? Jib. Never what? mind. After the break, um, we are going to send our minds into yours. You and, and continue watching podcast movies because we're stupid what are you talking about me very stupid RJ, if you could hypnotize people to do whatever you wanted, what would you do? Factory. Pardon? Cheese factory. Cheese factory. What kind Denim of cheese? Chicken. Denim chicken. Denim chicken. I'm not going to elaborate. Don't even pry further into that. You can email us at criterioncreeps at gmail.com and explain to me what RJ is talking about. We've got a Facebook page. We're on Instagram. We're on Letterboxd. I'm Jared Duncan. He's Barnloaf. And Ryan, you got to get on Letterboxd. 
We're on SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, YouTube, and we've got a Patreon where you too could pay us to be on the show. Wouldn't that be fun, people? Isn't it? Wasn't it fun, Ryan? Oh yeah, I'm sweating balls right here. Got my gimp suit on and everything. Look at that. Did you also sign up for our OnlyFans? <laughs> After the Patreon, did you sign up for our OnlyFans too, Ryan? What's that? Did you sign up for our OnlyFans account also? <laughs> I guess not. But uh, it's exclusive X-rated content. So if, uh, if oh, okay. you're interested, it's uh, it's out there. You just gotta search the dark web for it. That's all. Oh, okay. Well, some little uh, midnight office hour, huh? It's, it's something. It's, it's overtime. It's definitely it's overtime. overtime for sure. Yeah, well, I haven't put on my gym suit in a few years. It's a little tight on me, but I think we'll make it work. <laughs> make it work. Nice. Next week, spine two hundred and thirty-two. Jesus, two thirty-two, two thirty-three. RJ, and it's what? just the two of us again. But it's two movies for the price of one podcast. Aww. Yashigiro Ozu's A Story of Floating Weeds from nineteen thirty-four, and its remake. Floating Weeds from 1959. Hot Who did damn. the remake? Huh? Who did the remake? Ozu. He, ma- he, he did, did both? It. He did both. He remade his own movie? Shit, yeah. What is this, uh, Michael Haneke? And, um, who's the other guy who did that? You know that other guy. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Doesn't, doesn't matter. Well, the, the uh, one, what, George what? Miller. Yeah, him. <laughs> him also. He made Mad Max. Damn. Does that count? Now, Sam sure. Raimi, I guess, kind of did with Evil Dead. Yeah. No, there there was an actual Criterion. Oh, uh, what the fuck is his name? Not the Insomnia guy, but uh, uh, Jerry. Oh, it's Vanishing. Like in... George Vanish. Spur- George Spurlus. Exactly. Uh, yeah, he remade his own movie. Yeah. You see, Jared? Well, see? it's it's, it's going to work out great just like that this time, I bet. Terrific. Terrific. Well, thanks, Ryan, for joining us. Uh, it's Thank you. It's, it's been a time, and uh, to, to RJ, yeah. Why? Good night. Good night. See you in hell, Duncan.